I mean my life? Let it go, Kenny. When will this nightmare end? Hoyt Van Hoytemer. Okay. Hey, Van de Bont. How you going, Finn? I'm I'm doing just okay. naming cinematographers. Well, ones with fun Dutch names. Uh, those, yeah, those you got them. The ca- this is such good names, Kovacs, though. though. Oh, see, I thought he was a cinematographer. Okay, so Finn. Hello, you for you wake up sometimes. No, no, I'm. Oh, this is a hypothetical. No, this is a role playing game. Uh, what are my stats? Uh, no, it's a, it's it's a it's a casual. It's a one shot. You just got to respond. Still like to know my states. Okay, so you 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 wake up. You're lying in bed. What do you do? Uh, okay, um, I'd like to do an investigation check on the room around me. Okay, you look around the room. Mm. There, there's a bed. Okay. There's a table next to it. On that table, there there's a light and a phone with a, a charger cable. Okay. In the other corner in the room, there's there's a desk, maybe with a, a computer of some kind. No, um, anywhere in the room is, is there like a matchbook from like a strip club with like a phone number written on it. No, there's no. Okay, I, usually that's what I look to to try and figure out where I was after coming out of one, one of my mini benders. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, uh, you do notice because the first thing you noticed is that you've got no memory. It's like you oh, just wow. woke up for the first time, and also this room is it's oddly shaped. The walls are at aren't flat; they're at kind of two. Angles, all of them, right uh, around you. One side is kind of a big open doorway, and another is a big kind of translucent window. Well, it sounds like it would be a very strange thing to, yeah, to no, wake it's, up into. It's a bizarre experience. Yeah, what do you? What that's I've described your surroundings. I mean, I, I would take the phone. I'd I'd see if I have any messages. Okay, yeah, you've got one message. Uh, it's it's from someone called Boss. Brackets from work, close brackets, and it says. Okay, so so I know it's not Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you've got two messages. <laughs> Sorry, no, I forgot. No, the second message just comes in. First message of boss brackets from work. You're late. Where are you? Uh, name. What's your name? My name is Jefferson Flintlock Armistice Walker. <laughs> okay, you can pick that from your memory. You can remember that you recognise that it's it's your name. You are you are late for work. Underneath that, there's a message that says "Boss Bracket Springsteen." That's like, man, we just had such a sweet bender. <laughs> it was so good. It was crazy. I cannot believe the fights you got into. I thought you'd die after you got that one guy. <laughs> Uh, and I thought you'd die if you got the second guy, but, um, yeah. When you beat the shit out of... Name redacted. <laughs> Why? Why do you want to beat the shit out of... Name redacted. Oh, I've, I've told you a thing about how, about how he thought I was going to fight him, right? <laughs> what? No. Oh, I'm, okay. <laughs> okay, we, we're getting into this now. Okay. There is a bar in Westmere in, in Auckland, which I go to sometimes because I, I know two of the bartenders there. They're friends of who used to work at the Classic Comedy Club. It's very odd to me. How you a sober well someone who doesn't drink yeah go to far more bars than I do yeah I know I go to more bars than most people <laughs> do you like here's the thing because like if you start drinking which is obviously your choice you will it'll be <laughs> be like a waterfall like you'll be right off the edge but anyway so I, I was at this yep. bar and you know we just hang out for a while I was the only non-staff member there. And one of the people went into the back room was dealing with something there, and I was talking with the other one. Let's call him Ken. 
Yeah. I was talking with Ken. Ken and Watanabe. The, the other one was, was Talon, Eagles. <laughs> His name was Eagles Talon. So I was, I was talking with Ken, and T- Talon's was in, Talon was in the back room. Yeah. And uh, I was talking with Ken, and, and he said, So Finn, are you still doing, uh, uh, doing jujitsu? And I, I said, uh, I've I've never done uh, I've never done jujitsu. No. Uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, Talon comes out of the back room, and he <laughs> says, uh, No, no, Ken, uh, I, I I just made that up. <laughs> and uh, and I said, What are you two fucking talking about? <laughs> yeah, of course, your and, famous uh, jujitsu career. And Talon says, We're in a group chat with name redacted, and you uh, really don't like all, all the scummy dudes in comedy. And uh, he he knows that he's kind of borderline, and so we've been telling him uh, that you've been training in uh, in mixed martial arts so that you can go and beat him up. And I said, uh, "That's hilarious! Please stop telling him that." <laughs> yeah, because uh, he likes to fight people a lot. Yeah. And the very next day, I was at a different bar. I was at Whiskey yeah. on Ponsby Road, which is a shithole. And I was I was there with with Brendan Lovegrove. And just as I was about to leave at one o'clock in the morning, yeah. I see name redacted come up with a bunch of his friends. And Corey's saying hi to Brendan, saying hi to Smallville. And uh, then he comes he comes to me. He brings me in for a hug, and then whispers in my ear, "So I heard we're gonna have a fight." <laughs> <laughs> And I had to say, uh, no, no, it's, uh, it's a lie. It's not, that was a, a joke. Pu- okay, so you're in this room. Oh, got yeah, these I'm still two, there. These two messages. Right, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, just, I've just finished looking up the, at the new message from, from Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, there's a knock at the door. Uh, there's another knock at the door. It's louder. It's okay, more insistent. Okay, so I'm looking at the door. Are there any, like, locks on, on the inside? Yeah. Okay, are, 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 they, are they locked? Uh, there's one, and it, and it is locked. Okay, yeah. I, I say, who is it? Um, it's me. Uh, I, I say, uh, sorry, I, I couldn't really hear that. What's your name? <laughs> Very funny. It's me, Plastic Bag. <laughs> your best friend. Oh, I'd say, oh, Plaz, how, how's it going? <laughs> what? Uh, and then the door's kicked open. <laughs> <laughs> and you're faced with a human, well, to your scale, sized bee. <laughs> Uh, I scream. You scream. I scream. He yells the fuck. And I never stop screaming. The fuck you call me. Uh, and <laughs> he lunges at you. Uh, uh, I, my, my, my screams become so loud <laughs> that the sonic vibrations from my mouth blast him backwards. <laughs> okay, I swear. Look, you didn't tell me what my stats are. I'm taking this where I want to go. I really, I was, when I had this idea, I was like, we should have dice. (laughs) Can you imagine? I I, I was, like at the beginning, I was going to ask, like, what sort of dice I I should should be rolling. Maybe if we, maybe if this works well, and I think it's like, but anyway, so plastic bear. (laughs) He's he's in the wall of this long hall. Hmm. Uh, uh, down this hive of activity in which you are. You know, he wipes blood from his... Do bees have mouths? Uh, in, in, in some movies they do. <laughs> in some movies they do. And says, you know the only person who calls me Plas was um, Chair, <laughs> and Chair's dead. And he lunges at you, his stinger at the ready. But before you know what's happened... You've stung him, that's right. You're also a bee. <laughs> I experience soul death. I, <laughs> this realization shakes me to my core and I cannot handle it any I I, I cannot handle existence anymore. Okay. And I just through sheer force of will, I invert my body and die. 
Okay, good. Next. Okay, you, you might be able to tell at this point. I've, I've been I've been reading uh, Junji Uzumaki <laughs> this morning, and uh, and I think that's really that's really influencing uh, where I'm trying to take this B-roll play. Can I just tell you, uh, just as as uh, behind the scenes extra for experts, um, you stinging him. If you at any tried to move away from him, like when bees sting people, it. Pulls out their guts, mm-hmm. and you were just gonna, like you. You say, like, "I'll die quicker." <laughs> so you may or may not have worked out that in that you were a bee. Uh, no, I think I got it right at the end of it. <laughs> so while coming up with that, I'm now willing to call my shot. You know, we record this a week before they go out, but yep. I'm going to call that an award-winning new role-playing game experience. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> As I was developing that over months. It's called a B role playing game. <laughs> yeah, R, no, RPB. RPB. Or role playing B. <laughs> um, role playing B. Well, well and while I, yeah, was... I think our, our main obstacle is figuring out how to brand it. <laughs> Otherwise, it's done. <laughs> It's the only, the sole issue. But that's how it's doing. This is a game where you wake up with no memory <laughs> and then get a text from Bruce Springsteen and then you die. There are ways you could not die. You could have not. Sure. You, you called him. <laughs> it was all in your hands. <laughs> um, as I was doing months of research uh, into bees, I saw that bees, I... Uh, and you know, wasps are quite a potent metaphor. Sure, yeah, uh, for a number of things. And, and while I was doing that, I came in with a lot of the bee-related, came into contact with a lot of bee-related culture. Yeah, for example, uh, the experimental film Wax or the Discovery of Television Among the Bees. Yeah, a film yep. I've never seen, but I've heard is good. Uh, Cream Master Two, the bit where uh, where a man jizzes bees. <laughs> yeah. Well, his penis is also a beehive. Yeah, well, like, like goes about saying. And, and there's the drama with the bear to bees, of course. And I came across two very striking oh, of course, films. Bumblebee Man from, oh. from The Simpsons. And, of course, Bumblebee, the Hayley Steinfeld joint. Yeah, the, the, the only good Transformers movie apart from Transformers the movie. We should do Bay somewhere, right? But I don't want to watch those movies as the like, main thing. Yeah, but... It's, I can't do Michael Bay. But anyway, uh, Bumblebee starring Hayley Steinfeld, a uh, great movie. Good movie. Uh, okay. It, I'm not saying it's uh, shy. It, as far as Transformers movies goes, it's a great movie. But um, yeah. it's my least favorite of the Hayley Steinfeld is sad about her Dead Dad trilogy. Uh-huh. But it, it's a solid ending to, to, to the series. Oh, uh, yeah. That trilogy is, of course, True Grit, The Age of Seventeen, mm-hmm. Bumblebee. Uh, and, really of course, good movies. Uh, her appearance... In the Bad Blood Taylor Swift music oh, video, yeah, her dad was dead in that. Um, well, she plays triplets, so uh, if anything, the the grief is tripled. But I f- I came across two very I think striking and equally insightful films that give us a real lens on different bits of the world through bees. Right. Uh, one was the nineteen seventy three uh, Spanish film. The Spirit of the Beehive. Directed by Victor Ariche and starring Anna Torrent. Which I obviously got into because I presumed it would be full of sweet as jokes about how the main one of the main buildings of Parliament in New Zealand is called the Beehive, so yeah. I thought it would be... You, you, you assumed that this was a movie where, where honey got funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, of course, you're a comedian, right? Uh, 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 
you are. You sure? Yeah. Yeah. No, you say it in the intro every week. It has yeah, to be I, true. I, I, I do. If I ever become successful uh, at, at comedy, which um, no, I like being an acquired taste. I just wish more people would acquire it. <laughs> do you know what my big mega plan would be? I want to do a seven-hour-long show, <laughs> um, one for each of the seven deadly sins, an hour each, and you do it year on year. And they're named after the the Latinate or the original names. So just the first one's just Luxuria (laughs) and then Gula. Just because I think Luxuria is a great name for an era of comedy. And I would, but like, you'd come to an hour of show and be like, oh, I set up a lot of stuff that that didn't pay off. And then by seeing like the fifth or sixth hour, you'd be like, there are a lot of callbacks in that to content (laughs) I do not remember. So, bees. No. So you're a comedian. Oh, right. Yeah. I know you love comedy work. Yep. You like, ooh, what's your favorite comedy? Young ones, right? All comedy's good, you know? All comedy. Yep. If, if it's not good, it's not comedy. Okay, well, have you ever heard um, it's a situation comedy? And I know what you think. I know what you, when I say that, you're like, fuck, situation comedies. I hate situations. Uh, <laughs> accurate. Mm. But the other thought you're having is like those are usually laden with meaning. The thing I think about situation comedies, the shows that are about something. Yeah, but I found a show. Really? That I want you to hold on to your skull to protect it from the forthcoming trauma. He's actually doing it. This is a situation comedy that's about nothing. Um, what? And it stars my favorite. Of Britney Spears' husbands, Jason Alexander. Uh, the joke there is that Britney Spears also married someone with the name Jason Alexander. Okay. Um, Julia Louis Dreyfus from yep. the the Dreyfus Fortune from 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 the New Adventures of Old Christine. Yeah. Um, Michael Richards from, from our pre- from everyone's favorite YouTube video. <laughs> yeah, from our previous discussions on this podcast. <laughs> yep. uh, and um, a little you have you ever heard of Jerry Seinfeld? Oh, he, he's 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 the guy who used to uh, uh, who used to fuck a sixteen year old when he was in his mid thirties, right? Yeah, um, yeah, cool dude. Maybe makes a lot of good choices. And I I discovered that it's quite an unheralded gem, but I I think it is. There's a lot of it's it's entertaining. It's a, it's of its time. It rhymes a lot, at least to my taste, with with all the kind of theatre I like. A lot of it is kind of in one place. Uh, uh, over over one a period of time, and uh, uh, it was it was co uh, it was show run by Larry David, who mm. created the show uh, with Jerry Seinfeld. What I'm looking for in yeah. in comedy at the moment is like uh, I've seen too many comedies that don't tell you anything. Yeah. They have like theme yeah. and whatever, but yeah. like you don't learn any new information. Did, does does this show tell you what the deal with anything is? It asks that question a lot, Fantastic. and I think that, that's it, all I, I need. And I think it's brave enough not to answer it. Um, and so I was really excited to see what does this Jerry Seinfeld guy, what's his next major work? Uh, and lo and behold. Oh, see what you did there? <laughs> That's a bit clever. This movie isn't just about bees. It's, it's a, a whole bee movie. That's correct. And so earlier today, we watched both of those films. I didn't tell you why, but um, I would like us to now discuss how both of those films reflect on uh, like storytelling, the metaphorical resonance of bees within them, and about how they are both equally skilled <laughs> 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 at, at taking bees 
you know, those tiny things that hurt you. Uh, I, I think I think that 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 we take for granted in our everyday life. Yep. Okay. And discuss them hmm. for an hour to three hours. <laughs> Uh, in, in a podcast. This is just so we've got a better grounding so we can make uh, RPB better. Yeah, this is just buzz marketing yeah. for, for, our, for our RPB. Uh, so that's my intro. Hey! <laughs> Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors, or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, we watch number 85 on the Sight and Sound list, The Spirit of the Beehive, Victor Erice's poetic look at childhood loneliness in fascist Spain. Our second film this week is Bee Movie. Get it? Because they, 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 they both got bee in the title? Bees! And they both prominently feature bees. One is protagonist and one is tetragonist, I guess. <laughs> no, they're not the tetragonist in this. The father is the tetragonist in uh, any... Well, I think, I think, they're, they're, I think in the of a beehive, the bees are more of a hexagonist. Because beehives are hexagonal and they're bees. <laughs> <laughs> now and, and also I'm... they put spells on people. <laughs> Beginning to understand how B movie happened <laughs> with like the punch of just being like, Yeah, but like they're bees. <laughs> We're like, Yeah, I wonder, but they're B. It's Larry King, but he's a B and he's called B Larry King. And then there's, Jerry, there's no, there's no pun, he's just and, called B Larry King. And then Jerry Seinfeld, the B, is like, You know, there's a human Larry King. <laughs> oh, I understand how people thought it would be good, but spirit of the beehive, comma, the. Open brackets, 1973, close brackets. Directed by Colon. Victor Erice. Starring Colon. Anna Torrent. And like several others. Sure, but like it's, it's, she, it's mainly an Anna Torrent yeah, vehicle. No, she's the lead. Yeah. Everyone else is supporting. I mean, not the fascists. They're, they're quite unsupporting. Yep. And that's why and I'm... Another came- running theme in our podcast. Fascism is bad. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, guys, fascism... We don't like it. Nah. Fun. Yes. We talk about the films here. Just hello and welcome to Shite and Sound. Oh, my my name's Yutha Shite. My name is Finn Sound Nicholas. Sound. Let's get that in before the hour mark. We talk about films here, movies, the motion pictures, the talkies. We are overdue a bad adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, which is Antifa and the alt-right, right? Yeah. I've got a title for you. Right. All loves matter. You know, I think you might have pitched this to me before. <laughs> no, I tweeted it. <laughs> okay. I'm doing the classic comedy thing of repurposing tweets. See, I, I would do that, but if I tweet something, it's because it's not good enough to stay on stage. <laughs> yes, true. Um, I, double dip. Um, so, Spirit of the Beehive. I, it's a very interesting film to encapsulate and describe because it, like my first impulse is to kind of almost describe it in abstract terms, like it's an art film, 
like it's a sequence of moments. Which, Even which, though there's it, a clear narrative. Yeah. yeah, it is very much part of the 1970s European art house cinema tradition. It is very slow. It's very much like based around mood, based around incident. And it's mostly just like an eight-year-old girl like kind of looking sad at things. But in a real compelling way. Oh, yeah. This was my first time seeing it. You've, you'd seen it before and you love this yeah, film. Yeah. Why? Oh, I... Like, it, it's one of those films where it's like, it's hard to tell why I think it's so good, yeah. because, I, like, I don't know. But I think Anna Torrent is really, really, like, captivating in this, and it's just an absolutely beautiful-looking film. I love any film that's about uh, that's about loneliness and uh, 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 and fascism, <laughs> and I saw it as part of a very, like, formative film class. Uh, and so we start, it's 1940, uh, in, in a small town. In yep. Spain, or on the on the Castilian plains, and, and the local kind of traveling cinema comes and is like, got a new film, and in an incredible called shot is like, come watch this film, it's great, it's the best, you are going to love this film. And then they sit down to watch the film, and I do wish they had just replayed the previous <laughs> five or ten minutes. Sadly, they don't. They they're watching uh, Frank James mm. Wales Frankenstein, yeah. um. Which, uh, if you don't know it, uh, is about a big old doofus who uh, was made by a very angry man. The showing of Frankenstein starts with a man in a suit comes out from a curtain and he says, you're about to see the most terrifying movie ever made. And he gives a little bit of a trigger warning and also says, you know, you, you, you must remember that this film is about a man who tries to create life, but only God can create life. Have a good movie, and then he w- walks back behind the curtain, and, and the movie starts. Sorry, I was okay. distracted uh, yeah. uh, by by a text. My my partner just got very good news. Oh, okay, she got a job she applied for. Oh yeah, she's going to be studying to be a teacher next year. Oh, yeah, fantastic! My memory is that that introduction is there, kind of to slightly hype up the movie in okay. a way. It's part of the film as okay. opposed to an imposed thing. Okay, but great. it. it it's an incredible way to start a film. Like, yeah. how do you start? Like, imagine Kevin Feige coming out before Endgame and being like, "You guys are not going to believe this. This is a sad film. It's about life and death, and most importantly, it's about the least interesting implementation of time travel in film history." Now, I should warn you: time travel is not real, and you shouldn't try to replicate it at home. Imagine if the major societal impact of Avengers Endgame was just, just a was just, spate was, of deaths. Yeah, of from people. kids. Yeah, it's it's new Tide Pod craze. It's kids trying to trying to time travel. <laughs> well, because he jumps into a truck right when they're testing with the entered man. Uh, probably. Um, and so just people throwing themselves. At and in the audience watching this film, uh, two young girls. There's Anna, played by Anna Torrent, who was like six or, or seven when she made this film, yeah, which and, is incredible. And would go on to... Still in, in films today. Yeah, and, amazing. She would, and she would go on to uh, invent uh, a very widely available form of intellectual property theft. Yep. Then there's her sister Isabel, played by a girl called Isabel Teleria. And this is her only film, yeah? Yeah. And then we see both of their parents, their dad... Is a man called Fernando, played by an actor called Fernando. Yep, great. Classic. Named after, I presume, the uh, Andy Garcia character in uh, Mamma Mia Two. Uh, I mean, un- un- undoubtedly. Is it Andy Garcia? Probably. That, that seems like a movie he'd be in. <laughs> 
I mean, have you it, seen? Yeah, the, it's bad in the mule. Have you seen the incredible edit someone has done of the bit of Kenneth Branagh and Dunkirk look off camera going? Yeah, yes, I've yep, seen that. Yes. Anyway, yeah. So, uh, so there, there is a dead Fernando, uh, and he he is a beekeeper. Uh, he just sort of whiles away his days, uh, j- just staying in a field doing stuff with bees. Well, he's a beekeeper. Yeah. But is he a bee freer? Uh, at no point in the film does he free any bees. No. Well, okay. I'm glad. I would. I find that uh, 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 despicable. And I would go. I'd go to court yeah. over that. Um, of which more later. Uh, and then there is her mother. There is my mother Teresa, who is played by uh, an actress called Teresa. I'm beginning to see a little bit of a pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, here's the thing, here's the thing about 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 Victor Arice. Great, great, great directing. Not 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 so much a names guy. You know, he he should have teamed up with George Lucas. You know, <laughs> got gone to good names like 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 Mon Mothma and Kit Fisto. Uh, uh, Darth Plagius. <laughs> Darth Plagius. Uh, Darth the Wise. Un- Darth Undedu. <laughs> uh, Darth Bane, of course. Han Solo. What, what's the leader of the like racist Asian aliens called? Newt Gunray. Oh, Newt Gunray. Thank you so much, Newt Gunray. Watto. <laughs> um, um. Like, imagine this movie. It's exactly the same, but instead of being called Anna, uh, Anna, Anna Torres' character is called Watto. I, have I talked about this on the and podcast? Also she's played by a real Toydarian. <laughs> <laughs> they are out of work right now, because <laughs> yeah. unfortunately, as much as they are a real race, yeah, no, no, they no, no. just happen to be. Yeah, b- because Disneyland's closed down, and no, no one can get into Star Wars land, and so all, all, all the Toydarians out of work. <laughs> I, um, I, I once observed an argument happening on a Star Trek fan forum, where... No. <laughs> no, mate. Every single part of that sentence was surprising to me. <laughs> this was part of my phase of being like, obviously, I think, Fandom is a fundamentally broken way of engaging with any work, but I still want to check out what people say. Yeah, uh, and they are having an argument about the Ferengi, um, where and the Ferengi, if you don't know, are a grotesque, grotesquely anti-Semitic troll caricature. Yeah, this argument was basically going like, and and in Deep Space Nine, the best Star Trek series, they do a lot to engage with and put depth into the Ferengi culture, but without ever really kind of de-anti-Semitizing them. They're still all about profit, and it's it's real gross. They still just keep casting, like, Wallace Shawn is a Ferengi, you know? Is Armin Shimmerman one of them as well? He's the the recurring one. one, The principal from Buffy the Vampire Slayer? There was a a very short period of time in my life where the fact that Armin Shimmerman was a regular player on both Deep Space Nine and Buffy the Vampire Slayer made me be like, he must be the most famous and successful actor (laughs) in the world. Um, Oh, Armin. and, 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 like... Those stories are interesting. The ca- the, that race is still anti-Semitic. Um, and it, the argument was essentially about that, but the, uh, the rebuttal was essentially being like, no, the Ferengi aren't Jewish. They're Ferengi. That's what the Ferengi are like. You can't just tell a Ferengi not to be like a Ferengi. Yeah. It's like, do you... Yeah, it was, it, it was very troubling. Um but so we meet, uh, uh, they watch the film, we see the father, ca- like, very mournfully, as he does almost everything in this film, oh, yeah. hanging with his bees, collecting the honey. There's the, the, this film 
takes so much time to honor everyone's rituals, mm. which I think is really interesting and, yeah. and is is really beautiful. Like the the film looks exquisite, even mm. though it was very clearly made for very little money. Like yeah, in in like in like one house and a, and a town square and a field. But it, it it's just like it, it, it's it's a testament to like it's it's what you do with it. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, and, and and while the father is with his bees, Anna and Isabel's mother is at home, and sh- she is writing a letter to some sort of like long lost lover who may or may not exist, and she bikes off down to the train station to post this letter. And what while Anna and Isabel are watching Frankenstein, Anna becomes sort sort of upset by the scene where Frankenstein uh, kills a young girl. Frankenstein's monster. Come on. Sure. Thank you. Um, it's twenty twenty. Yeah. yeah. No. Do you want to create more work for the pedants of the world? We're we're mostly shifting on to explain to people that Inception is, is the insertion of ideas, oh, not the please, nesting. Don't of get things. me fucking started on that. That is one of the maybe the thing that irritates me the, the the most out of all things that don't matter that I get irritated about. People using Inception to mean a thing happens three times yeah. is fucking boils my blood. Oh no, I I feel the same way about when people see an image that contains one texture and is symmetrical and are like, Wes Anderson? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, what? I guess what I'm saying is I'm sick of being the only person with the absolute correct taste in what is what. Yeah. It's a burden. And who knew it would be me? Anna is upset. Yeah, she's upset that a little girl dies in, in the movie. And she's trying to ask Isabel what happened. Is she really did? What's going on? And Isabel, like any good fear to go with, says, shh, I'll tell you later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and then they, they watch the bits where the uh, in Frankenstein where the town gets their pitchforks and, and their flaming torches and are like, this is going to be iconic. Uh, and, and chase and kill Frankenstein's monster. So later we see the two of them in bed whispering to each other this is a very whisper heavy film yeah and once again anna's being like did she really die and did he really die talking about frankenstein's monster and then isabel's like no movies are fake yeah no they're they're, all lying they're just pretending um and then there's like about 30 minutes of like life around town kind of right yeah like we we spend a lot of time with the dad as he like solemnly reads letters and lights cigarettes yeah, or, or like off gas lamps to the radio and like yeah. has an inner monologue about bees. It's important to say about, about the dad. He's built a beehive inside the house, yeah, which is a glass beehive you can see inside. There's like a mesh tube attached to that, which like attaches to the window so the bees can come in and out. Yeah. And that that's I assume metaphorical. Well, the windows all, of yeah. the room in which he contains this glass beehive are yellow glass in a hexagonal pattern. Which is a bit like if I. Well, it's not just that room. It's it's like all. It's pretty much all all the rooms in the house have have that. Oh yeah, you're right. Because right. also in the there bathroom very few and one windows. of the yeah yeah, um, which is just like if I'm a beekeeper, I want to get home. I want to not see hexagons. You know, mm-hmm. I would see so many hexagons during my day that I'd be like, come on, anything. A yeah, pentagram. Like, not 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 to not to bring it back to Uzumaki. Yeah. But like sometimes there's sometimes there's, there's one pattern that really does it for you. <laughs> if you are someone who enjoys comics about grotesque body horror, read Uzumaki by Junji Ito. If you have not already, it's like the uh, it's it's. I just started reading it this morning. Yeah, I am seventy pages in. Yeah, and uh, this thing doesn't waste any fucking time. His hair is already curling off his head it's... in spirals. Oh, it's so gross and it's so good. <laughs> it, yeah, 
Do not read it if you are even faintly squeamish. <laughs> yeah. I am faintly squeamish, and it was tough. Oh, mate. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for how, how the next 530 pages of it go. <laughs> Pretty spirally. Yeah. It doesn't feel like the film falls into a longer... It is just kind of showing us around the world. And, yeah. And every moment we, we spend with people feels special and earned. Mm. But yeah, it, it's also like, it's not as clear to a, a modern viewer, I don't, I don't think. But like, throughout the entire movie, there is the, like, the specter of the just-finished Spanish Civil War and of the fascist government, which, which is now in control of the country. Yeah, we, we see people uh, waving men off to war. Yeah. This movie was made in, in 1973 when Francisco Franco was still in charge of Spain. And like, this was just as the rules around censorship were, were just beginning to kind of like loosen up a bit. Yeah. And so like, this film couldn't have been made like two or three years earlier. Well, and the thing that hangs over the film, like its statement on fascism in so many ways is by context, is watching yeah. it, knowing that just because they couldn't, they literally couldn't say more. Yeah. So have you seen uh, the Iranian film, uh, Salesman? The Salesman? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, um, that, that's a film about, uh, about various things, but one of which is that uh, a man's wife is attacked. Mm. And absolutely everything in the film, the way people react, is that you're like, it, 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 there were, there were, it was sexual violence. Is, is how the film makes sense. But because of senses, no, he just startled her and scratched her with a knife before yeah. running away. And so it is that thing of like, oh, you just have to, with the context, you understand the game the whole thing is playing. Yeah, and so there are these lingering effects of war, and you you sort of see how that that, that has impacted everyone in the family. The the father and mother sort of like drifted apart. She's writing her letters to her lover who may not exist, yeah. and he can only find connection with, with bees. The children are both incredibly disconnected from from their parents and kind of from each other. Like yeah. uh, it's very interesting because obviously they spend shitloads of time together, but they don't seem to be friends, which I thought was a very interesting kind of taking out like they weren't enemies but. yeah the main thing that isabel tells anna in that night while they're whispering in bed is that frankenstein's monster is real yeah and that that that, that he that he is a spirit who lives in an abandoned farmhouse in, in a nearby field yeah and the he only comes out at night he only comes out at night and if you're friends of him then then he'll show himself to you yeah and you can talk to him and so the next day after school they they, they go down to they go down to this abandoned farmhouse in one of my favorite shots of a movie where the camera's up on top of a big hill and yeah. they're, they're standing in front of it looking down at the farmhouse and you don't really understand like how far away the farmhouse is. Yeah. And then it, it cuts to them like, oh, like they, they start running down and there are these like crossfades to them getting further and further along the field. Yeah. And this film does so much to like remind you how small these two are, and after like two or three crossfades, they are the, like the size of, like yeah, yeah they the size of, like two or three pixels each, yeah, and just, just like just running towards this farmhouse. And I know it, it's just it's such a perfect encapsulation of just like of like how little control these two have over over anything that's happening around them. Yeah, and so they arrive at the this abandoned farmhouse. There's a well next to it, mm-hmm. of course there is, uh, and it is this. I have to believe that they found it. But like, what a miracle and how, because it's kind of like one big open structure that seems to, by magic, fall instantly into darkness on the inside. Yeah. Uh, It is like outside it's night, but the moment you look through the window or through the open doors, it's just nothing in there. There's something supremely uncanny and haunting about it. 
And so Isabel, she goes up to the, the farmhouse. She she goes inside. Then she comes out and says, "He's not here right now. You know, my 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 you 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 wouldn't know him. He, go, he, go, he goes to another school. Yeah, my 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 my, my boyfriend's a supermodel from Canada." <laughs> Yeah. And uh, so then Isabel and Anna run off. But a few hours later, Anna comes back by herself. She looks around. She steers in the well. She throws a rock in. She's trying to find any evidence of this, this spirit. Yeah. Of just, like, something that she can, like, be friends with, really. And uh, she sees a, a man's boot print on, on the ground. Yeah. And that, that that's, like, the sort of closest she can get to, to any sort of connection is just to, like, put her tiny foot in, in the in the boot print and yeah there's, there's just more of like of people kind of hanging out r- running around well the the sisters play a game of chicken where they put their heads on uh the railway as a train is coming well okay so on isabella's part i don't think it's a game of chicken she's like putting her ear down so she can hear the, the train approaching yeah i mean anna is joining in with that i mean when, when isabella sees the train like kind of coming coming around the corner she she steps back from from her tracks, oh, yeah. but Anna just doesn't. Something about the train just barreling towards her is, yeah. is like is like transfixing to her. Yeah, and of course, like Anna Torrent plays it uh, really well for a six year old. Yeah, and uh, throughout a lot of this movie, I get the same sort of feeling of like dread that I do in the scene in Yi Yi where Yang Yang jumps in the pool. <laughs> yeah, for a movie where nothing happens. I find it to be incredibly tense. Yeah, it's not doing a lot, but everything it is doing, it is doing to utmost effect. Yeah. And uh, this also comes to a head later where Anna is in her father's room. She's u- using a typewriter. She hears a scream and a crash from the, from the other room. And she she walks through the house and she, she finds Isabel lying on the floor with a broken pot plant and the, the like rocking chair is like kind of moving back and forth. Mm-hmm. And she just like kneels by Isabella and tries to kind of be like, "Oh, come on, yeah, fun, fun, yeah. funny, 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 funny gag. Come on, get up yeah. now." And and like it, she she just cannot get Isabel. You have no idea in the scene whether Isabel is just like really good at committing to the bit, yeah. or whether she's actually dead. And it's oh, it's just so uncomfortable the whole time. Yeah, and and, and seeing Anna just like slowly get like more and more upset and more and more confused about what's happening and well and and, and it's so and, and and Isabel is pretending but you mm. you find that out like the scene is like five minutes yeah. maybe and it is very much kind of an encapsulation of of how context shows us that it's like oh this like living in a country where the rules are so insane and power is so total and yeah. so removed from you that these are the things you're twisted into doing. These are the only ways to pretend to be dead is the only amount of control you have. Yeah, I mean, just after this, there is a scene, which I, I think is the only scene where Fernando interacts with, with his children at all, which is where they go, uh, where, where they, they, they all go mushroom picking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so he, he's teaching them about this, the like the, the good mushrooms and, 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 and the, the, the mushrooms that will that'll kill you. Instantly. Yeah. And it's just this very like simple scene of him just walking around the woods and yeah. picking picking some mushrooms, and that also plays into a thing of, like trying to find something to have, to have control over. Yeah. Where, where Fernando tells the story about about his his grandfather and how his grandfather uh, used to spend all day in the country picking picking mushrooms, even though he, he didn't even enjoy eating mushrooms. He just yeah. he just liked the sort of ritual of of going around and finding like separating the good from the bad and fi- finding mushrooms and picking them and yeah. carrying them home and. Uh, 
So uh, it's, it's around this point in the movie where uh, where, where we see where we see the the train go past again, yeah. and a, and a man jumps off it. He is a soldier who who is wounded and who is deserting from the army. Yeah. And he runs into this abandoned farmhouse. Then later that night, Anna. Uh, she goes back to the farmhouse to to try and talk to Frankenstein's monster again, yeah. and uh, she finds him in there. And uh, they're both initially scared of each other, but she she can you know tell that this is a person who who is in trouble. And she she goes home and she steals a pair of her father's boots. She steals his his coat with his pocket watch in it, and she brings him an apple and and some water. Yeah, uh, but then the army finds him. Yeah, and you know that means. Everyone has a nice Aaron Sorkin conversation where they understand each other's points of view. Yeah. And at the end, Joseph Gordon-Levitt realizes, you know what? They're patriots too, just like me. And he stands up and applauds them. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, don't, no, don't, he, don't, he, don't watch a trial of Chicago 7. It's not good enough to watch. Yeah, I'm glad to. I did like Molly's game, though. I've, I still haven't seen that one. It's good I, fun. I, 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 yeah, I've, I've heard it's good. Any, any film that has Michael Sarah playing a character... Based on Toby Maguire. See, I, I I prefer when he plays characters based on Marlon Brando, like in Twin Peaks: The Return, with the single best scene of television of the 2010s. You need to watch Mr. Robot, but but like that that hey, that that, the, that, that, that Michael Cera scene is incredible. Though. That Michael Cera scene is incredible. It just it's happening in the same decade as so many things. That's happening in the same decade as I'll always remember when the Doctor was me. That. That's happening in the same decade as, I don't know, what do people... Breaking Bad, when he's like, say my name, and they're like, Breaking Bad, and he's like, yes. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm the one who makes meth. <laughs> I like that show. I better call Saul in the spin-off. For day. legal advice, because I hear that's what he's good at. What about Bob Odenkirk? What about his burgers? <laughs> oh, there's pro- there is... There's, I've seen all of Bob's Burgers, and can I tell you this? Mm. There's not a bad episode. Mm. It's lovely and kind and warm. And, yeah, I wish they had... I wish they were able I pres- to just make Gene gay, but I presume that's a network thing, which is to say that Lauren Bouchard, the maker of that show, is just going to break <laughs> while animating an episode and be like, I'm mad as hell. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to network anymore. <laughs> not going to network anymore. So back to your episode. What's Louise up to this week? It's John Benjamin. He's got funny things to say. He does have funny things to yeah. say. He's a funny guy. Have you heard his jazz albums? We, we're not even close to finishing Spirit of the Beehive. Uh, we, no, we're basically done with Spirit of the Beehive. Uh, have, you, have you heard H. John Benjamin's jazz <laughs> albums? Um, No. So he, he put out an album that was called like, John Benjamin Jazz Daredevil. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And the, 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 the cover is him like dressed up like Evil Knievel sitting at a piano. And uh, he's never played piano before. He doesn't know how to play piano. And uh, he hired a real jazz band uh, to, to, to come in. And, and they, they back him up while he plays, while he plays like, his attempt at jazz piano. And, uh, Does he also sing? No, no, no. It's, it's purely instrumental jazz. But um, it's, 
It's, it's so fucking funny. And then, uh, that was like four years ago, and then just this year, he released a follow-up album, uh, which is a covers album, uh, where he's he, he covers Axel F. And uh, John Benjamin's shitty attempt at trying to figure out how to play Axel F does he get this, is so fucking funny. Does he get the same jazz band back? Uh, I, I believe so. Oh, man. Oh, it's, I will listen to those. But so the army finds but the like, deserter. What, 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 I think oh, is, what I think is really impressive about what, what I think is great about about his jazz albums is that it, it really shows you the difference between like avant garde and free jazz, where people know what they're doing, yeah, and avant garde jazz, where people don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and like you know, a lot of the time when it comes to free jazz and stuff, people are like, oh, you know, anyone could play that. No, no. <laughs> like John Benjamin fucking proves that. Like, like only it, H. John Benjamin can do. It. Yeah. Oh. Good stuff. Yeah, so the soldier is executed in the night by, yeah. by the army. Then everyone's just really bummed out for a while. I mean, they were bummed out before, but they're sort of more bummed out. The local head of the military guy, who we know is a fascist because he's got a moustache. A big old moustache. Uh, the thing that would push this over into masterpiece territory if he had a monocle, but no. Yeah. It's not a monocle film. No, he he's he's not high enough up. He he's like a colonel. Yeah. You know, he's not high enough to have to have a to have a monocle. But we see him go through his morning routine. We see him go through shaving, which is an echo of an earlier sequence where the two sisters with nothing to do are hanging out in the bathroom and pretending to shave like their dad would. Yeah. Um and, and about Yeah, it, the symbolism is obvious. Um but good. Obvious symbolism can be good sometimes. Like um like enemy where the metaphor is that women are spiders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what enemy is about. Yeah. Great. Great understanding of enemy. <laughs> or a serious man where the dibbuck is a metaphor for how for for dibbucks. <laughs> This dibbuck is representative of other, more serious dibbucks. Just to reuse another tweet, uh, Andrew Todd, um, a good man from Christchurch, um, uh, uh, tweeted about people um, who saw the first 10 minutes of the new Borat and were like, I'm not, that that film is so sexist. I cannot believe it says those things about women. Uh, I could not watch more than 10 minutes. And then we're like, I'm not going to watch it. It's so sexist. It's like, imagine watching the first 10 minutes of a film and thinking that's its thesis <laughs> statement. Um, and my, my response was, yeah, I'm still steamed about a serious man's pro-dibbic agenda. <laughs> if you haven't seen A Serious Man, it's so good. It's Coen Brothers' best film. I don't feel that yet, but I think on rewatches, it definitely could be my oh, favorite. I, it's a six-star film in a career of five-star films and The Lady Killers. <laughs> <laughs> and I need to rewatch Buster Scruggs, but I didn't love it immediately. Oh, I, I think at the moment, Buster Scruggs might be my favorite of his. I regret watching it as a film. I think they should have done the original plan, which is release it as a miniseries of shorts. Mm. Uh, just they don't feed it like I mean they deliberately don't feed into each other or bounce off each other. Yeah, but that can make it just feels amorphous. I felt lost in it quite a lot in a way that I don't think they wanted me to. I felt overwhelmed by it. But so uh, the head army guy brings old dead Fernando in, and he's sh- like, "Hey, have you seen this this dead guy before?" And he's like, "Nope, never seen this particular uh, dead uh. in my life." And then the general's like, "Hmm, then why does he have your coat?" 
and your pocket watch and your shoes. Mm. And Fernando's like, ooh, this seems bad. <laughs> then he says, gotta go, and yanks on his collar. He and says, feats don't fail me now, <laughs> and leaves a, leaves a David Foolis <laughs> shaped hole in the wall. He looks like David Thewlis. He Thulula. looks a lot like David Thewlis. I'm quite happy with our adjustment into being just a David Thewlis fan cast. What's he ever done wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, probably something. Everyone's a monster, really. It's just, you know, who looks into the light and who fights it. Yeah, we're all a bunch of Frankensteins in a barn. We're all a bunch of Frankensteins, Frankenstein's monsters, monsters in a barn. In a barn. Yep. I was using shorthand. The monster was implied, so Fernando goes home, and there's this like sense that he's like now under under suspicion by the government for being like a sympathizer with with, with deserters, and again, like, basically now none he's of, the B. Like, is... like, absolutely none of this stuff is ever like said, but the atmosphere of it is like so rich, and the performances are all like so good. You you get get all the stuff. Yeah. yeah, this is when the film starts showing you a lot of the glass beehive. Yeah, we are like. Oh, yeah, I get it. He's the bee now. Yeah. And so after Fernando uh, gets the coat and the shoes, he goes down to the abandoned barn, and, and Anna has also gone down there, and she's seen that, that the soldier is missing, but she sees his, his blood all over the walls. Then she goes outside, she sees her dad, and she understands that this man is dead now. Uh, I think she also kind of kind of, kind of suspects that, that her father might have might have informed on him. Yeah. And, and so she runs away from her father, and... He uh, d- doesn't really try that hard to get her. He just says, like, Anna, come back here. Yeah. While, while she's well, sprinting not... in the opposite direction. Well, and then we get a time cut to it being la- later at night. Yeah. And, and, and other people are looking for her, calling out, Anna, Anna. Yeah. So I, I think we can assume. I We just haven't established that he's not a good runner at this point. You know? Yeah. So here's my punch up for Spirit of the Beehive. He, he's he's so fit from all that from all that mushroom picking. But like in the mushroom picking scene, great scene. Yeah. A great scene in a film of great scenes. <laughs> like the kids run away and just have him be like, No, don't you know I can't run after you because of my war wound and my leg. And and then I would explain it. Yep. What we need is more backstory. I mean, if there's one thing I like, it is people flatly stating um war <laughs> flatly stating their their situation and what's going their objective at any one yeah, time that, that's called cinema that's why we're about to discuss my favorite film ever b movie <laughs> there's one thing about cinema i think cinema should do is tell tell don't bother with the showing crap I, if I want a black screen like the first five minutes of 2001 A Space Odyssey, <laughs> and I want someone to explain to me what's happening. I mean, that's an overture. You're supposed to be getting, getting no, set and ready, <laughs> you know. There's only one film I want to show from, and that's from Showworth. Oh, I thought you were going <laughs> to say Showgirls. There's probably a better way to go with that. I think that, that would be... Wor- no, okay, we disagree. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I, mean, I don't. O- o- only one of those jokes invokes the specter of the Holocaust. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a good film that I'm saying. Yeah, no, you're right. I don't want to say that the Holocaust is a show because that implies it's fictional. Where it's fi- oh, I watched fucking Bound, the Wachowskis' first How film. Fucking good is Bound. Look, Joey Pants. Oh, Joey Pants, Jeannie Gersh, Gene <laughs> Tills. Like, fuck, Kit Maloney. <laughs> Because I wanted to bring it up, because after last week, I just I was like, I keep talking about how films can be horny without being gross. Mm. And, like, 
Outbound yeah. is the horniest <laughs> film. It's about a relationship between two women, and there's a sex scene in it, and famously in the script for that sex scene, it's said in bold and caps at the top, you will ask us to cut this, and we will not, yeah. or something to that effect. But also the note they should have had at the top of the script is like in bold or caps, all dialogue in this film will be performed as if it's post-coital pillow talk, <laughs> and it will absolutely work, trust us. It is the most fuck-drunk film ever, <laughs> and it's never gross about it. Yeah, And like part of that is the retrospect of, like, oh, it's a lesbian crime film made by two trans eggs. But it, fuck, check it out. Like, it's so... It's so good. Right, and, and the one sex scene in the movie was like designed and choreographed by a lesbian feminist like sex educator. Well, and you and, and you look at it and you go like, you know, this is what it looks like when you're not just shooting the the like the choice cuts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And 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 the way it radically centers like female pleasure ah oh. and it's got a great plot it's yeah, got it's, great twists yeah it's just a fantastic fucking thriller well a fantastic fucking thriller that's set in two rooms yes and you would ne- like even it was afterwards i was like 80 percent of that film is in two rooms possibly more mm. but while you're watching it, it just feels like a film like obviously mm. they wouldn't like they're so deft at like the reasons people don't leave the room <laughs> And, and the way they shoot it, you never like, I've seen their wall. Ah, oh, check out Bound. But to get to my, my Matrix yeah. point, um, uh, is the, like, the success of The Matrix so much is that I know that film by heart at this point. There are massive sections I could do word for word, but it's still thrilling. Like, there are so many things that I know so well they are now boring to me. Yeah. But it's like, no, every thrill is that opening fight scene where Trinity takes out the guys. She jumps in the air and the camera's like, whoosh, and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. but, but that's not the cool bit. I mean, it is a cool bit. But like the final shot is that she jumps to the ground and she poses in this perfect shaft of light. And it's never less than a thousand percent cool. <laughs> like I just, just an endorsement for the Wachowskis in general. Check out all of their films and, and also understand that I think like Cloud Atlas has some pretty big things going <laughs> against it but I think their hearts were in the right place. Yeah. And I think that is a film where that actually matters, if you know what that yeah. That's a film that's going to age badly for a while and then age very well. Yeah, well, don't put people in yellow face, Yeah, but that is the only way you can adapt that story. In a world without racism, it would be fine, you know? <laughs> Except we live in a racist <laughs> world. You know, spirit of the beehive. <laughs> so Anna's gone on a run. Yeah, it cuts to later at night, where like, everyone is out looking for her. And she is, she, she's by herself in the woods. She's looking into a pond. Which is a lot like the pond from the scene in Frankenstein. Yeah, and, she, she, and she, like, she imagines that she sees the, the, the reflection of Frankenstein in the pond. Yeah, well, because she's also, I can't remember what she's throwing into the pond, because the scene in Frankenstein, which we didn't describe, mm. is a little girl is throwing flower petals into a pond. Yeah. The monster joins her, starts throwing flower petals, runs out of flower petals, and then cut which was imposed by the censors it's implied throws her in yeah and so that's the he see yeah when anna sees the monster's face in the water like the echoes are rich and deep yeah and then she like looks down at a mushroom yeah and you're like oh is that one of the good ones or is that one of the bad ones which are very similar yeah looking yeah but like next morning they they eventually find her curled up in the like ruins of an old castle or something and they take her home and she's very like sick and weak because she's been out in the 
fucking cold of like this desert plain all night. Yeah. And then there's just a really beautiful... Or she's phantom threaded herself. Yeah. And then there's... Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, and then there's this just like really kind of like beautiful closing scene where she she's at home and Ben, she, she kind of feels that she can hear the voice of the spirit of the beehive, <laughs> as it were, and she walks out into into the like moonlight and stands in the moonlight and the movie ends. It's beautiful. Yeah, good. Shadow sound. 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 Yeah. I don't think I like it as much as you, but that's the difference between like thinking it's a 9.5 out of 10 and a 10. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited to watch it again because I know that I will find more things in it. But yeah, it it's good. And most importantly, it's short. <laughs> yeah, so like, it's like nine, nine, 95 minutes. We started recording today at 2. That's the I th- Is that the earliest we've ever started recording? It's, it was great. I love short films <laughs> like Buster Scruggs, how it should have been. Shrugs? Scruggs. 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 Oh, just on the topic of Buster Scruggs, I, yeah. I, I did say something incorrect a few episodes ago. Yeah. Um, Bustin' doesn't make you feel good. <laughs> we were talking about Ralph Innocent Ooh. and the name Little Joe. Yeah. And I said that he played a character called Little Joe in Buster Scruggs. He didn't. He played the brother yeah. of a character called Curly Joe. Oh. And, and now the reason I was thinking Little Joe is because Curly Joe was named... Uh, so uh, when Buster Scruggs kills Curly Joe, he sings a song about Curly Joe, which is based on a song from Destry Rides Again that Marlena Dietrich sings, which is called Little Joe in that movie. And then in, in Buster Scruggs, is, is replaced with Curly. And then Ralph Innocent plays Curly Joe's brother. So Ralph Innocent didn't play Little Joe, he played Curly Joe, and I think we cut that entire discussion out of the episode anyway, but I've just been like feeling bad no, about I for do, the last I, week. I, I'm just... Like, you establishing precedent of correcting past factual mistakes terrifies me. Because I know every episode I listen to, I'm like, that's just wrong. <laughs> that's just wrong. Yee Yee isn't good. It's great. <laughs> it's incredible. Edward Yang, what a dude. What a dude. So, Finn, uh, at, at the beginning uh, of this episode, two and a half hours ago. Yeah. Really? Is it no, that? no, no, no. Okay. About, about 100 minutes ago. Okay. Uh, no, we were all right. Sure. Um, I, I led you in a little rolled play yeah. of what it would be like if you were a bee, but with the mind of a man. And sorry, sorry. Just, just uh, after you said rolled play, <laughs> I was just thinking about my favorite English children's author, who's also a curry. <laughs> rolled, rolled doll. Rolled doll. <laughs> At the beginning of this episode, five days ago, <laughs> I engaged you in some rolled play as as a man, um, the mind of a man uh, in a bee. Yeah, I was the player. You, of course, were were the bungeon master. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Bungeon must be, I guess. Uh, uh, and, and I wanted to awaken you to all the interesting things that could be done within that. Like, what if bees were animate? What if bees were well, they're animate? What if they they're like us? What if bees had self awareness? Mm. If they had personalities? What if they were like people? Um, and, and the reason Bee Movie is my favorite film is that I think it really explores the big questions of our life through the lens of what it is like to be a bee. Yep. So how would you describe... what if? Okay, let's role play again. I'm a newly born being, but I can understand language and concepts. Describe what just living is like. It's it's the only thing you have to do. Yeah, but what does it? But what 
Thanks. What's your name? Uh, Jefferson Flintlock Armistice Walker. Oh, hi. I don't. I don't have a name. I was just. I was just created. But what does uh, it feel like to live? There's no set feeling of of what it feels like to live. That's a question you have to answer for yourself. So it is like a bizarre churning tumult in some ways. In some ways, It's interesting. We're raised to follow rules, and of course, most of those rules are like fascist patriarchal rules, or or rules about uh, 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 destroying empathy within yourself to better um, manipulate the weak. Yeah, or sometimes there are good rules you're told, like uh, uh, don't throw sticks at people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, a solid one. You know, but that, that's like a foundational one. But those shift so much. Like so much of living is being like, okay, so what set of rules are applying in this situation? Yeah. What is acceptable? How do we get through this? Uh, how can any of this make it? What is going to happen next? And how can I be the best person in that situation? And how can I engage with my community uh, to better make the world better? And I don't think there's a film that better expresses that, that feeling of constant shifting rules, of borderline uh, <laughs> nonsensicality than B-movie. I'll lay it out. <laughs> so I'll lay it out for you. Um, I want you to meet a nice little B. His name's Barry B. Benson. Uh, Triple B. Uh, he, he is played by, well, he's, he's played by a computer well, some animators at computers. I really hope they didn't hand animate this because so many wrists would be lost to all the shading. By one of the writers, the producer, the man who had the idea for the film, Jeremy Seinfeld, as, as we've said. One of the great minds in cinema. Yeah, he, I... It's can't... like him, it's Kuleshov. <laughs> <laughs> him, Kuleshov, Eisenstein. Uh, let's go Kubrick. Goddard. Uh, Sharma. She great. Yeah, nothing bad to say about her. You know, and, and Barry Benson lives in a beehive because he uh, he's a bee. We know he's a bee because every joke in this film is uh, replacing e syllables with b, or sometimes just putting b in things. Yeah, like B. Larry King, a name that is said many times, which yeah. isn't a joke. Yeah. It isn't even approaching a joke. Uh, there are very few jokes. I think it was very brave of Jerry Seinfeld to write a film without any jokes in it. I'm. Almost 100% sure that Patrick Warburton ad-libbed almost all of the stuff. Because yeah. Patrick Warburton is so fucking funny in this. I, it, it is terrible to make a film that even John Goodman playing a southern lawyer cannot oh, save. Oh, that Goodman? That was Goodman. Jesus. Yeah, bad job, Goodman. Bad job. Oh, dear John. Goodman, question mark? No. Bad man. Go back to hitting people in the head with tree branches, like in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, okay. I, re- I thought, it was like, am I about to learn something? <laughs> no, Good- he's, he's not like Rip Torn <laughs> attacking. Well, no, no we're, we're, the Rip Torn or Norman Mailer. One of them attacked the other one with a hammer. <laughs> it was, I don't care. I hope it was both oh, of them. There's, there's video footage of this. I hope it was both of them at the same time and the hammers collided in midair. <laughs> But yeah, Barry's a, a, a with Jerry Seinfeld's famously young-sounding voice. He's of course re- recent college graduate Barry B. Benson. Yeah, um, and, and he's going to join the workforce where you choose a job that you have for the rest of your life. Yep, because uh, bees don't have any beat 'em. <laughs> 
Uh, which is not a joke by making a movie, but they should. And we quickly learn that their house recently got stairs, which is absurd, because uh, they have wings, uh, only to cut to Barry driving a car. <laughs> okay, I, ju- I just looked it up. Rip was not Rip Torn's uh, g- given name, which I, I assumed it wasn't, but I'm sa- <laughs> I'm sad to confirm that. His full name was Elmore Ruel Torn Jr. Oh, okay, at least Torn is there. He should have changed his Rip, name. Rip Torn is such a good name. I can think of a better name you could do with that surname. What? Nothing. Middle names, right, I'm torn. <laughs> I'm all out of place. This is how I feel. Lying naked on the floor. So if, if anyone wants more Rip Torn content, <laughs> uh, go, go, watch, uh, go, go watch The Man Who Fell to Earth. Because uh, like a, a good like a lot of bits about David Bowie being an alien. But, Are you about but, to say Rip Torn's Fuck Diary again? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, 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 a good a good thirty minute portion of that movie could just be called Rip Torn's <laughs> Fuck Diary. And a joke we've already done. On the yeah, I know, yeah. I know, but it's it's a joke so nice. I uh, did it again slightly worse. Uh, okay, oh, sorry. Just it just seems weird reusing a joke we used as an episode title. Yeah, but it's not an episode title anymore. Oh, uh, that's right. It's an episode subtitle. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not, it's not going to get the play it deserves. <laughs> Reptoon's Fuck Diary is an incredible collection of syllables. And so Barry B. Benson with his friend whose name I didn't catch and nope. don't care to look up. And I don't know who played him. Oh, it's Broderick. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh. Shouldn't have let him behind the wheel of that B car. Well, I'm just saying it is very telling of Jerry Seinfeld car enthusiast to hire Matthew Broderick. Oh, Barry wants to be a pollen jockey who are these kind of semi-militarized bees that fly out. They get the nectar, they yeah. leave the pollen. The, yeah, they're the only ones who are allowed to leave the hive. Uh, and all, all, all the other schmucks and schmoes have to stay inside. Uh, there's a real sense of them as like a military corps. They have like tech, tech there. Their technology all is made to look like weapons. Yeah, they have a general cool helmets on. who has a full military uniform. This bee has a full military uniform, even though several others are... are uh, entirely nude, yep. and so he decides to uh, just go out on the flight with them uh, in this bit. It's in this big centralized location, many people watching. He just runs in and joins them, even though he's obviously not one part of them. Just because the film needs to get on with it, you know. Yeah. So he goes out for a fly, uh, reveals he's in New York City, concrete jungle where dreams are made of. Also, sorry, do, 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 you, know, do you know who played Barry B. Benson's dad? Uh, Charlton Heston. Barry Levinson, the director. Okay. Weird, weird casting. His mom's played by Kathy Bates and his, dad, his dad's played by Barry Levinson. It may seem like we are slip sliding through this film, but uh, it is like Honey. Uh, and also Rip Torn's in this movie. I... I... <laughs> I I I I, I don't How can Riptorn come up so much. I, in I don't know. I, I've I've no idea where Riptorn was in this movie, but he's in it playing a character called Lou Lou Loduka. No, uh-huh. probably one of the people who was like on trial for yeah. stealing honey. Yeah, that makes sense. What a, um, what a what a what a what a crazy world we live in. Uh, and, and so while he's out and about, uh, it, it, he, there's a. Hell- <laughs> Hilarious scene where they mistake tennis balls as flowers, and Barry gets stuck to the tennis ball while a couple plays tennis with it. Yep. Um, and now this couple is a couple of humans: Vanessa Bloom, voiced by Renee Zellweger, who is a uh, uh, who is a florist, and we have her stud of a boyfriend, Ken, played by Patrick Warburton. Uh, the only good performance of a movie. Uh, yeah. At the end of this film, Patrick I love Warburton. Patrick. Warburton. At the end of this film, Patrick Warburton yells, I'm trapped in a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the line is, 
This bee has stolen my life. I'm trapped in a nightmare. And that's like the final line of a movie, pretty much. It is. Uh, it's good. Uh, uh, it's the one good joke. Yeah. Um, but like oh, also the 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 thing, <laughs> the thing of the bear later on. Oh yeah. The, uh, okay. A- anyway, um, I, and it's so during this tennis match that it really became clear, at least to me, that the way that this film has decided to do humor is come up with faintly entertaining concepts or like joke adjacent ideas and yeah. then point them out. So it'll be like. A scene where like, oh, they've thought the tennis balls are flowers, and then one of the bees are like, these aren't flowers. Oh, these aren't flowers. Oh no, I'm stuck to this. Oh, he's stuck to this, but it's not a flower. Should we tell him? I think he knows. <laughs> and then he's just doing DreamWorks gurning as he's being hit across um, yeah. by these two random people that he just bumped into. T- total coincidence. You know, it's a, it's a city of twelve million people. He'll never see these two again. <laughs> Uh, and so they and then they they fly away. Well, so no, so they so Ken hits the tennis ball so hard that it goes over the fence and like and like goes down yeah. like some fucking avenue of New York. Yeah, and uh, bouncy, bouncy, bouncy all the way down. Uh, he gets uh, uh, he goes inside a car and he makes it through the entire internal combustion system. Uh, fine. <laughs> This is where we should point out that the um, this film, uh, like Split, is secretly a sequel to Unbreakable. Yeah, because uh, this movie both wants you to constantly believe that bees are in desperate danger of being murdered by humans. <laughs> yeah, but also that they are indestructible demigods. Um, within the bustling hive. See what I did there? Of industry that is the beehive earlier. Um, there was like, oh, look how hard it is to be a bee that goes out there to to collect the honey. You might get swatted. Look at the simulation machine. And there's a trainee in there. And there are big, like, robot hands. One is holding a rolled up newspaper. One's holding a shoe. And one's holding a fly swatter. A fly swatter. And he dodges them, but he gets ready. And one gets him. And you're like... Oh, that's a bit dark, but he's fine. Then another one gets him, and he's fine. Then another one gets him, and he's fine. Then all three, and it's like, why is this a threat? You're all clearly impervious. Yeah, like so, like we're like the movie. The biggest physical challenge that Barry faces <laughs> is he gets rained on at one point, and that seems like j- just yeah. like an unbreakable. That seems to <laughs> totally defeat him. Yeah, uh, this is a film. Where, at the end, the climax of this film is... Is a bunch of bees fucking a flower. <laughs> no, no. It, it is a right, swarm of bees acting as landing gear for a plane. <laughs> well, not, not just landing gear, but, but, like, op, but like flying the plane. Flying the plane. The, the bees in the bee movie universe are these tiny superpowered demons. <laughs> Uh, um, and all we have to like uh, the punch, uh, the button at the end, which introduces cows and their legislative needs, reveals that all animals are sentient yeah, in all, this all, as well. Yeah, every single animal is sentient and can talk. Yeah, and it's the problem with the King James movie we, Zookeeper. We're like, if if all the animals can talk. Why are they letting us do this to them? Well, and yeah, and humans can understand animals. Yeah, and it is just like the first time the bee is 
Um, Barry is like, okay, oh, fuck. I just don't want to talk about this film in depth, but we have to go deep for me to explain how irritating bits of the scripting are. Yeah. But, okay. So, uh, uh, after he escapes from, from, from the car, yeah. he's trying to fly back to, to the hive and it starts raining. He is uh, uh, instantly uh, fucked. Yeah. He, he gets hit by one droplet of rain. We know this because he says... Can't fly while it's raining. Can't fly while it's raining. Can't fly while it's raining. Because Can't fly in rain. At any point in this film, if in, the character on screen is stating the most obvious yeah. thing. I, I can't remember who it was. It was one of the animators. I think it was for like, I think it was either a writer or an animator for SpongeBob, where he yeah. was talking years ago about like the fear of good animation, mm-hmm. and for, for like a good like piece of animated media, if you close your eyes you shouldn't be able to tell what's going on. And uh, with B-Movie, you will always know exactly, like, the, 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 yeah. the, the entire movie is, is for, like, audio description for, <laughs> yeah. for, for, for visually impaired people. Yeah. Anyway, so... Uh, 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 yeah. You go. So he, he's flying along, he gets hit by a single raindrop, and he's like, oh, no, oh, man down, blah, blah. Uh, he, he flies into, uh, uh, he flies into just a random New York City apartment. But here's the thing about New York. Finn, I don't think you it's know this. It's the city where dreams are made. <laughs> no, it's the it's the Big Apple. There are only like three people in New York. It, it, there's you, Vanessa. There's Ken. That's there's the it. lawyer. Uh, well, no, he, he he's he's a slick. Well, there's, a, there's a judge and a jury, so there's maybe forty people. Yeah. But yeah, so um, he, he flies into an apartment, and it just happens to be Vanessa and Ken's apartment. And yep. he flies in there just as they're getting home from tennis. And which means, like, they left, as soon as Ken hit that last ball, they, yep. they left immediately. And, and things are very established very early on. Barry has a friend who he confines everything in, his yep. greatest doubts. And, and also bees have telepathy in this movie. Yeah. And, the, and, the, the antenna work is like Bluetooth headsets. And so that is the perfect setup. For even when Barry is out in the world alone, he could be talking to his friend. Yeah. And that's the way you get exposition done. But they don't do that. They just have, like, Barry talking to himself like he's in, like, a bad radio play. And it's just like, oh, I, I should thank her for saving me. But Yeah, because um, Ken, Ken tries to swap the bee, but, well, but, but Vanessa saves them. Well, and c- makes the argument, like, you know, Ken, why, why is this bee's life less valuable than yours? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and he, and he's like, oh, but you can't talk to humans. That, that's, that's one of the, the rules. That's, that's the first the f- rule. You can't talk to humans. The first B law, yeah, he the, says. The first, yeah, first B law. You can't talk to humans. Uh, and it's like, just express that. Oh, like, apart from that being done, and then they talk, and she has one bit of like, like oh, a e- bee. Even if you'd just done like a montage of Barry growing up and like going to like bee school, and like you have like just like one of the like throwaway gags to be like, first bee law, don't talk to humans. And then that comes back later. But no, he's just like, no, everyone knows this is the first bee law, you can't talk to humans. And she is like, what? I thought I was dreaming, but I don't remember going to sleep. You must be a talking bee. And then immediately starts making fuck me eyes at him. Well, no, she, she, starts, she starts self-harming to prove to <laughs> prove to herself that she's not asleep. And then, and then yeah, and then she starts wanting to fuck the bee. <laughs> and then they say, oh, let's have a coffee. So they just have a coffee and... It's a scene of a woman and a bee having a conversation on a rooftop while each drinking coffee. And it's like, it sounds like there should be something entertaining in this setup, but they're just, they're 
absolutely isn't. Yeah, and then then for like two minutes, it turns into a parody of The Graduate, where, where like Barry goes home and he's like a hot shot now for for some reason, and he's he he's lying on a he's because he came back alive because right, he's oh, someone yeah, who yeah, lived. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. And he, he's like he's lying on like on like uh, on an inflatable pool chair yeah. in a pool of honey at his parents' place, and he's got he's got bee sunglasses on, and he's just mm. lying around thinking about stuff. I mean, his parents come over and he takes the glasses off like the graduate and there's a whole thing about like his parents are like, oh, you've got to figure out what you want to do with your life. Yeah. And uh, uh, then he falls Sorry, off. Sorry, be graduate. Yeah, and then, then he falls off the, uh, the the inflatable pool chair into the pool and then there is a dream sequence where him and, and Vanessa are going on a date and uh, like it's, it seems like they've just fucked. And then she gets in a glider and they're like flying along together and then she crashes into a mountain and dies. <laughs> is so like there's no greater sense i've got from a film of people because like jerry seinfeld obviously he likes to fuck underage girls because he's gross um and even if they're not legally underage you know half your age plus seven mate like he's gross but (laughs) he can write jokes yeah like that that's what he's known for and like the story the alleged story about how this film was made is that like he was at dinner with Jeff- Jeffrey Katzenberg and was like hey do you know it'd be funny bee movie it's about bees and, and Jeffrey Katzenberg said oh, i love it kid i'll make a queebie of it <laughs> yeah and like, and like have 60 million dollars and Jerry Sandman was like oh, okay and like there's just absolutely no for more film i've got a sense from people who can do better things yeah. one of the directors worked on prince of egypt like which Whatever you think about it, like casting white people in those roles, uh, a problem. Making Val Kilmer one of the voices of God, I like it. Brilliant move. Um, he's also one. Of, the voice of God's supposed to be many characters, but any who. Um, there's just a sense of me being like, For just that. That's that's in a film, right? We'll just do that. Like that'll do. Yeah. Of, of all the films we've watched so far, I think this might be the 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 most mediocre. Well, it's the laziest. Yeah. Like yeah, I like w- w- we've seen a lot of films that are worse than this. Yeah. But but, but like some some something something like like Food Fight like genuinely feels like a piece of deranged outsider art. Well, and like, whereas this just feels <laughs> totally boring. Well, like, and the very fact that Food Fight is absolutely repellent as I find the idea, but like let's make a film and then fund it by having making it essentially sponsored content the film yeah where all of the characters people pay you know the doll banana is the lead um and and the 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 peanut baby is the love interest sounds like a really jerry seinfeld thing on all of there that's a better reason to make a film it's not a good one no but it's a better reason to make a film than b movie and just so and it feels like jerry seinfeld writing the script coming in with the story was just like oh this shit that happens in a film right like this just it just all fucking goes these are things that are like yeah, jokes right it's, 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 every movie every movie is a courtroom drama I've, I've only seen a few good men that's the only movie i've seen well and and every and in the specific case of this What's film the being, deal with courtroom dramas <laughs> that was closer to emo yeah e- emo phillips is so fucking funny yep Two thumbs up, emo. Both his nose. Two <laughs> thumbs up his nose. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he'd, he'd appreciate the comedy of that. Well, I'm a stranger to him. Yeah. I think he'd be shocked and delighted. <laughs> um, but it's the, this is CG film, so thousands of people worked on this. And so it is like this. 
yet again, I will say that another script feels like a first draft written in a weekend, but it yeah. really, really does. As it moves towards the end, you could just get the sense of being like, oh, I said, I gave them a treatment where I said this shit was happening. Okay, we'll do it a scene at a time. We're done. Boom. Go through. There's no sense of causation, even relationship. But you have these thousands of people working criminal hours for not enough money to immaculately animate, design, light, and render these fucking terrible B-jokes. And it's just like, it's so... Like, part of what makes me annoyed about... I think there's a lot of weird flabbiness in James Gunn's writing of plot especially in the two Guardians of the Galaxy films. I think the success of both of those films is that he nails character and dialogue. I'm not arguing against those films being good, but almost all of his films turn on, um, build to a point where the villain... Yeah, I I know what you're saying. All all James Gunn's films build to a point where someone has turned into a giant like inflated uh, human bomb inside a barn, and then they explode guts all over (laughs) everyone, and then everyone gets slivered. (laughs) I mean, Slither is the exe- is the is the exception, but is essentially just uh, a character decides to make a mistake or makes an obvious fuck up. Right, like yeah. both of the Guardians films basically end because the villains make obvious dumb mistakes when they haven't shown no pattern of that, and it's just because oh the film needs to end. Come on, and like that is that is like the plotting of all of B movie. Yeah, or, or like in Super where Kevin Bacon makes the obvious mistake of being able to be murdered with a wrench. I can't... I remember having this... Because I, I watched Super between Guardians and Guardians 2. But, like, Guardians 2's ending is like, okay, I'm the, I'm the I'm this big villain. I've got this great plan. By the way, I killed your mum. And it's yeah. just like... Why? Like, why did he tell him he killed his mum? Oh, because the, the film needed to end. Like, like yeah... But part of being with like with that character is like he's literally called ego. He doesn't care about other people, Finn, and, and I, he 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 sees his own he sees his own like plan for how the universe should be as this like ultimate good and the most like logical thing possible. And if, all I gotta do is explain my plan to people, and people will understand it. Okay, um, I've had this argument with people before, yeah. obviously, uh, and like, haha, very cute. His name is Ego. He's all Ego. Um, But this is a guy who's had this extensive plan for a very long time about essentially picking up his kid and ingratiating him. And then when he finds Chris Pratt, the worst Chris, including Chris Columbus, the Discovery, um, uh, one of the first things he learns is about the strong attachment to the mother. And you see him changing his in-depth, long-form plot that we know through the immaculate, beautiful set design of that film to be, like, under control and considered by him, just to repeat myself four or five times, I don't know, to suddenly, to be, and, like, we know that that character knows about his attachment to his mum. Yeah. The, and why would you, at the point before you have won and gotten everything you wanted, like, and there, there's nothing within that scene. And the thing that annoys me about that that and like the reason the team split up in that film is like oh yeah they're a bit angry at each other but why do they even stay in those groups and it's kind of because it's in a film and the thing that bothers me about that kind of weird kind of slightly uh uh that that plotting that's just like you know we're in a film we're gonna get to the next set piece we're gonna get to the next bit yeah, it's, it's mov- movie stuff is that there's 200 million dollars of people around you working to make these moments just look dazzling and beautiful and 
like in like sumptuous feasts for the eyes and people have been working so hard and when you as a writer can't be bothered to think of a good reason to have your ending star yeah yeah and it's like and obviously the rest of the film is strong enough to recover that but like B movie with everyone below the line staying the same could be good if the people who are fucking billionaires uh having coffees and cars <laughs> like gave a shit about it. Yeah, yeah. And people will have lost their jobs. No, B movie did well. It did. But you know but it, it and it's like fuck that. I know, that just makes me so mad. Um and I think that B movie does that a lot. And that's why I like it. Because us sitting as like unknowing pawns under these callous super rich is an incredible metaphor for life. Like there's no better way. What better film could you make about the modern condition than a piece of absolute dreck might be people who don't care about it, with which clearly hates its audience, which is children, um, being made by uh, hard-working artisans turning out world-class work. So we're 15 minutes into the movie? Yeah. Well, no, like, because then... Yeah, no, we, we just got to the part where, where she crashes and dies <laughs> in the dream. into the fire. Yeah. But then, yeah. I mean, like, he, he's hanging out with her more, and they're, they're walking around the streets of New York, and people are like, oh, that's a bee. And she's like, yeah, but he's my bee. Yeah. Um, at, at this point, he's just freely talking to everyone. There's not a big news story about how uh, bees can talk. Nope. No, no, no one cares. He yep. he gets like swatted a few more times, yeah. and seems to be fine mostly. Yeah. Uh, then one day they're in Le Supermarché, yeah, and and he's they're, they're just walking around having having a night having 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 a classic having a classic supermarket date, and uh, they, 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 they 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 walk past the honey aisle. And he says, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and imagine, she's like, it's just honey, baby. And he's imagine like... Imagine if this film had, had won it. Yeah, it was PG-13, we have won. What the fuck is this? Or like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he, he's like, what's up, what's up with this? And she's like, it's honey. And he's like, I know it's honey. I make this fucking honey. Like, wh- where'd you get this from? And she's like, we get it from bees. And he's like, which fucking bees are you getting this from? <laughs> yeah. Are you stealing this honey from bees? Well, and she's yeah. like, I guess, yeah. <laughs> and, and he's like, Fuck all of this. I'm taking all of humanity to court. No, no, no. Yeah? No, not yeah? yet. Okay. Because he, he's like, I've got to see where this honey is made. Oh, right. And yes, so yes, he yes. sneaks into... You're we've got right. to talk about the Thank one you. entertaining 30-second segment of this film that's actually good. Um, uh, and, and he goes uh, he goes into the back. There, there's a person at the supermarket oh, right. yes. who's like, oh, but, you've got to be on you. I hate bees. Yeah, he's, he's the person who like, spots for bee off and... And then Vanessa takes the magazine off him and like hits him in the face a bunch of times, which is assault. Yeah. Like that's like he hit a bee, that's fine. Um, they're, they're, they're not legally protected as sentient creatures. I mean, she she assaults him. Um, uh, uh, but he goes into the storeroom because he wants to go to this. He wants to. Uh, he wants to find. He wants to find out what's happening with the where, with, where the with honey the comes honey. from. Um, but he's hiding, and the guy who hates bees is there, <laughs> and he goes, "A bee is here." I can sense it. I can smell it. I can smell it. I can and, smell the okay, bee. And he goes, like, "You, I'll wait here. I've just got to do something." You go, and so he's alone. And then he gets out a jar of honey, opens, it and goes, "Like, I will just open this jar of honey and leave it." 
on this box. And Anthony goes, now I'm walking away. And, and he, he walks and, well, he, he doesn't walk away. He just does the motion of walking away, but standing yeah. in his... Which, like... He, he literally moonwalks. It's great. Yeah, it's... Um, it, it, it's like a little bit. Of, it's like it's like like twenty five percent of Christopher Walken's of, of Christopher Lloyd's walking in in uh, food fight. <laughs> but it is just this this man who's so obsessed with catching a bee, <laughs> a single bee, a single bee <laughs> that he's like, oh, this little oh, got this out of here, and then and then Barry B Benson comes out. And they have a fucking sword fight yeah. where he's then, using... Then, like, as soon as they meet each other, it starts being entertaining. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, Barry wants to find out where the honey comes from, <laughs> so he's, like, he's interrogating him, and he, like, pushes him up against a cork board, and then the guy's like, oh, I do not know where the honey comes from. And the entire time he's, like, inching his hand down to pick up a, to pick up a push pin... And like when he he could just he could just like slam the bee into the wall with his hand, walk away at a moderate <laughs> pace. <laughs> like, but no, see, yeah, he, he gets he gets this like pin out of a wall, and he's like, oh, oh god. And then him and Barry have a sword fight. Barry, of course, using his his bee stinger, and. Uh, it sucks, yeah. and then B- Barry beats the guy somehow. Oh, like he he overpowers him with his with his immense bee strength, and, uh, and then then the guy's like, "Oh, the, the honey comes from uh, honey farms because this is their first draft." Uh, yeah. Uh, well, you can uh, the truck is leaving right now. Uh, yeah, um, and he hitches yeah. a ride on a windscreen. There's a bunch of. Very boring jokes about windscreen. Yeah, there, um, there, there's, there's, there's there's a mosquito on there. Played by Boy, Chris Rock. Played by Chris Rock. Uh, uh, his name is Mooseblood, uh, which which is, and, which is I, a fun name. Um, and, and then uh, he he uh, he hop, he goes like, "Oh, this is my connection." And then he hops off uh, onto a blood donor van, yeah. and there's a bunch of mosquitoes. And he goes like, "I knew I'd find you guys here," and like that's quite nice. But anyway, he ends up at at, at Honey Farms, and, and then in the most misguided part of the film. This film, in the, to the end of comedy, really goes towards making beehives seem like prison camps. Yeah, well, well not not like normal beehives. Like those, are, yeah, commercial the, beehives. Yeah, but yeah. like normal beehives are cool, chill places. So like it's a bustling metropolis. Yeah. you know, it's where everyone loves to live. <laughs> but this is like it's a prison. There are photos of a false queen on the wall, about which a, a very transphobic joke was made. Yeah, I and mean, then there's this like zoom through all these like like concrete like containers where all the bees live in and it, it looks like that that movie from like last year the uh the, that fucking like spanish horror movie uh the platform oh, yeah. where like everyone lives in like a concrete platform i think that's a 2020 film oh uh, no i'm pretty sure it was last year because i remember uh not watching it last year <laughs> okay um anyway we'll skip over it lightly but it is um but they're immediately in court <laughs> well, no, he gets back and he goes, I know what I'm going to do. I want to be a lawyer. I'm going to... He wants to be a lawyer. Yeah. On behalf of all bees, I'm going to sue all humans. Then essentially, hard cut to court. A reporter outside, the first day of the trial. Yeah. But, but like also, like... If you're gonna sue all humans, like he he's just in like just like a, like a state court in New York. Did he do like like go go to the Hague? That's what it's <laughs> like, that's what it's for. Also, like, did he do five years of law school in between? Well, he, he he did pass the BR, but but it's the BBR, not the not the human bar, and uh, and like that, that's they've just got the one law: don't talk to humans. And so he <laughs> yeah, he used yeah. the test. You're right, they do. This film does establish that bees have laws, but it is uh, that 
Yeah, and, so he, he, he is qualified to practice the law. But just uh, with the increasing sense that nothing happens in the world of this film outside of the scenes we see. Yeah. So it is, like, it starts with the journalist being like, it's the first day of the big case. All bees versus all humans. We are going to learn to, but first we must learn, can a bee really talk as if... Barry would not have to speak publicly in the build-up to this trial. Yeah. And John Goodman is the uh, opposition lawyer yeah, he, representing he's... all humans. Yeah, and he, he's this all, like, slick southern lawyer. He's very, you know, well, I do declare. <laughs> uh, and it is... Lordy me. Uh, and uh, 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 Worker is helping him Are with this case. Are you tell me a bee... Is practicing law in yeah, this like, great state of New York? Yeah, it's like that. Yeah, it's it's it's, it, it's exactly as good as my accent. Um, and so for twenty minutes, it's a courtroom drama. The rough plot beats. Uh, um, Ken gets annoyed at. Uh, oh uh, yeah, this also happened. Yeah, yeah. Patrick Woodward gets annoyed at Renee Zellweger for helping him out. So it's like. Uh, I'm gonna kill you. And, well, he, he he's annoyed, but he's getting cucked by a bee. <laughs> but he's like, I'm gonna kill or, you with or bucked. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill you with this copy of Italian Vogue. It's extra thick because there are lots of ads. And we're like, these are the jokes Jerry Seinfeld thinks kids want to hear. Children love, not just regular Vogue. Like, sure, kids like Vogue, but that's passe, you know. Yeah. What kids want is Italian Vogue. Do you remember uh, earlier in this very podcast, but 10 days ago, um, uh, you asked me, I, I, was, I had to name a character and I looked to my right to your right and saw a plastic bag and said plastic bag. Oh, is that why you said that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, okay. and, and, and said plastic bag. Imagine doing that with... I mean, I mean later when asked about <laughs> another character, you said chair. I just kept looking to my right. You're a fucking writer. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I use random name generators. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I take inspiration from the world around me. <laughs> but imagine doing... Um, I'm like a poet. I go, I, go, I, go, I go into nature and I experience life. And I use that to fuel my imagination. I I wouldn't, but the thing is, this podcast is two friends. Just I, I came up with, with <laughs> Jefferson Flintlock Armistice Walker. I know, I could compete with that. I could not compete with that. Um, uh, so, but like, imagine doing that for a joke in a $60 million film. Yeah. Like, he definitely was just like, uh, I should have a joke here, and then he just looks around and says, oh, uh, that's got a lot of ads in it. This is what children would like. Um, yeah, it so, yeah. Just, it, fuck, it sucks. So, yeah, there's this very long scene where where, bit, where Ken's sort of getting cucked by a bee, so he tries to kill Barry in the bathroom, which leads to a, like, the, which leads to a Steve Martin in the Pink Panther sort of scene where he destroys the bathroom. <laughs> there, there's, there's, like, one pretty funny gag, which I really liked a lot, where um, where he picks up a can of, of like, oh, um, picks up, like, an aerosol can of, of, of like, flower-scented, uh, uh, like, bathroom spray, and he, he sprays on Barry, like, like get, get it taste of this or whatever and Barry's just like loving it. he's like yeah I love the smell of flowers and then Ken pulls out a lighter and he's like oh yeah well how about the smell of fire and then he lights the he lights the spray on fire and tries to kill Barry 
<laughs> and then Bradley Stem's hitting the entire bathroom on fire. <laughs> yep. Like in the Pink Panther. And, and then uh, because this is uh, a film with bad jokes in it, you get, of course, the classic cut to outside where uh, Renee Zellweger is just doing the dishes, doesn't know what's going on. And, 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 and jets of yeah, fire is shooting out from under the bathroom door. Uh, it is. We are describing it. It sounds much funnier yeah. than it is. Sounds great. Um, uh, but if, and, eventually, Ken knocks Barry into the toilet and tries to flush him down. Yep. But Barry at the last second grabs onto like like a nail file or whatever, yep. and he he uses that as a surfboard and like uses that to like surf out of, like surf on the spiral yep. whirlpool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See here, okay. Let's just go back into Uzumaki Corner. Yeah. The bigger, like, Uzumaki, if you don't know, uh, is essentially about spirals, the symbol, you know, the yep. sign, the icon, the glyph, um, a, as a virus that infects you, drives you insane, and starts to distort your body and the world. Yeah. And the biggest... And, and this starts on page two. <laughs> and the thing is, it the book does that to you. <laughs> yeah. Because you're just like, there's spirals like, everywhere. The, the, like, throughout both movies, there were multiple times where people said the word spiral, and I just repeated spiral. <laughs> um, it's, I, it's, I, it's crazy how fast it starts working I, on you. Um, uh, while I was reading it, I, I was listening to what was then... Um, to damn Kendrick Lamar's new, oh. uh, 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 then new album. It's very good. He has a song on it called Humble, which um, I think I heard a rumor is about me, but I, I wouldn't want to say uh, for obvious reasons. But there is just a bit in that where he says spiral. <laughs> uh, uh, um, and it got stuck in my brain for like <laughs> six months. Not even the whole line, just the way Kendrick Lamar said spiral. And that's because... <laughs> Welcome to Uzumaki Corner. We're never leaving. Um, and well, except if it's Uzumaki Corner, it's not going to be a corner. <laughs> well, yeah, true. And then there's there's various shenanigans. Well, yeah, so after Barry finishes surfing out of the toilet, then Vanessa comes into the room and she's like, Ken, what are you doing? Are you trying to flush my, my friend down the toilet? Yeah. And Ken's like, yeah, I fucking hate all of this. <laughs> like, why are you suing me? I don't even eat honey. I prefer artificial sweeteners. Yeah, they have an aftertaste, but I like it. <laughs> I think... Fuck, Patrick Warburton's so fucking I funny. I hope... On YouTube, there's just Patrick Warburton <laughs> supercut yeah. um, of just his good lines. He has quite a few bad lines. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a lot of like, what what would a smarmy businessman say? Just like, look at my resume. It's fold out and it's a fold out brochure. And later it gets torn and he's like, oh no, my brochure. Yeah. There's a part which I thought was going to be funny. So he's talking about his, his resume and he's like, yeah, it's even got my top 10 favorite movies on it. And like, I just wish they'd named the movies because someone says, like, oh, I bet number one Star Wars. And he's like, no, I, I don't go for that pew pew sort of stuff. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't say that. It's, it's something like that. No, what he says <laughs> is, I don't go for that pew pew. <laughs> pew pew pew. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Pew pew stuff. <laughs> it is just like there's this real sense of just like Patrick Warburton We're thought he was giving them minutes. a couple of takes. <laughs> but it is fuck. What is? Yeah, oh. I, I I just wish they like Vin named his favorite movies, and I I I don't think it would have mattered what his movies were that he listed. But I just think that would have been funny to hear Patrick Warburton say the names of different movies. <laughs> what was it? There was like three or four years ago. There was a case of like a big, well-produced audio book of like I, I don't know, you know, Wolf Hall, like a big right. book. Uh, that had by cle- Hillary Mental. Yeah, it, it, do you want to see what happened? I looked even further right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's above the chair I was referring to. Um, yeah. And 
okay, so so there's this Flimlock Armistice Walker, there's this plastic bag, this chair. Uh, there's a new character. Um, my newest character, my latest creation, is called uh, Simon Pig No Do Well. Um, uh, <laughs> Then that, that's one of the books, and we we haven't organised our books yet. I don't want the world thinking we've gone insane. And like so we've Wolf <laughs> Hall, like there are two books separating Wolf Hall and Simon Pegg's sort of autobiography, Nerd Do Well. Uh, and I believe one of those uh, is a vampire romance. Yep, certainly looks like it. Um, any by 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 Charlene Harris. But there there was a, there was a famous audio book where they there were two Lincoln cases. Lincoln and the <laughs> Where they had left in two cases of the narrator being like, blah, blah, sorry, uh, I'll, do, I'll, I'll give you that again. Uh, and, and that became semi-viral. Like, imagine yeah, that's, if that That's pretty great. I presume that happens in B-movie as well. <laughs> um, like, uh, oh, I'm, I'm surprised that doesn't happen in Food Fight. I, oh, I'm surprised there aren't any scenes but just end with like someone's voice trailing off as they leave the studio <laughs> footsteps a door opening you just hear, and, yeah, you just hear a car driving away oh, I was going to go with cash register noises <laughs> as they got paid you, yeah, hear a okay. you just hear Charlie Sheen's helicopter starting up uh, John Goodman baits one of the bees into stinging him yeah, using... this, is, this is of course the Matthew Broderick bee yeah. who, who's the, the bee most likely to try and kill someone I keep remembering how much more this Feels like so much more of this movie left. Okay, we have to speed up. Yeah. We're going to die. He baits the Matthew Broderick bee into stinging him and is like, oh, you don't think all bees are dangerous. Look, all bees are dangerous. And it's like, oh, oh we have passed over my, my, my favorite joke in the movie, which is... Um, <laughs> the bear. Yeah. So, so like... <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Uh, yeah. This is the one thing we actually laughed at while the film yeah. was occurring. So, like... So... Uh, uh, <laughs> When the trial starts, they're calling witnesses, and the first witness—I don't know if it's a witness who was called by by Barry or by the or by the southern lawyer. He's not the first witness because the first couple of witnesses are celebrity cameos. Oh, so yeah, there's yeah. a cameo by Sting, by Sting, and, and by... Ray Liotta. Yeah, which because there's a joke about Ray Liotta endorsing a honey it, brand. It, it's, um, it's not a joke, no. but anyway. Yeah, okay, but, thank you. But then they're interviewing the president of of a, of a honey company, and he he runs one of the honey companies where the honey comes in bottle shaped like a plastic bear. And uh, Barry's cross-examining this guy, and he's like, hmm, so bears, huh? What, what do bears have to do with honey? And the guy's like, well, bears, uh, everyone loves bears. They're lovable and, and, and fun. And Barry's like, oh, yeah? Well, how about this? And the, 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 the like bailiff kicks the door open and leads a bear in on a leash, and this grizzly bear just starts, just starts going, rah, rah, and everyone in the court starts screaming, and the, the, and the, the like, guy in the witness stands just like, oh no, a bear! And then Barry looks looks over at Bailiff and is like, yeah, t- take him away now. And there was just like one of the funniest pieces of physical comedy I've ever seen from an animated character, where the Bailiff just sort of like shrugs and just like and just like waves the bear out. And, and then it cuts back to it cuts back to the southern lawyer and, and his paralegal or whatever at the table, and the lawyer's just like, ah, damn it, I can't believe it, he's got us. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, which is for like this is a, a court drama which includes bits like so Sting or should I call you Gordon Sumner and then the lawyers go oh right you, you fools it's not his real name <laughs> like what <laughs> like even a child would un- be able to understand prior research right <laughs> like children understand the non-linearity of cognitive information but do you think the animators, you know, the team of like maybe 10 people 
who had to work on that the rabid bear coming into the room and yelling in the guard with him. Do you think they were like cock-a-hoop? They were like, mm, hey guys, just down on the B-movie we, campus. We, we got to do the bear sequence. <laughs> yeah, hey guys, it's us. Oh, I, 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 I heard you had to do the, the part that, that compares uh, uh, beehives to concentration camps. <laughs> do you, did you have to do one of the multiple scenes which has to... B- create romantic tension between a two-scale bee and, and a giant 2006 some peop- era some dreamworks human. Some people are human. into that. Some people, <laughs> some people want a woman who can eat them. Oh, yeah. what, what good jokes in the film are you? None of them, none of them. We're working on the one good joke. It is just sudden. I always want to... Um, uh, a recently solo theatre, oh, a couple of years ago now, put on production of Peter and the Wolf, and for some reason I just got it into my mind that it would be so funny that it, it was a beautiful puppet show uh, right. for kids. Um, uh, I think it's still touring. If you ever get a chance to see it, I, thumbs up. Um, but I really like the idea that it was all these beautiful puppets made by John Coddington, a great man um, and, and, and great puppet designer. Um, but the, the wolf... <laughs> was like a feral wolf <laughs> chained to a stake on the stage. <laughs> Just this agent of unending feral animalistic chaos. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> throughout. Uh, anyway. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's that. But anyway, that essentially... And, and, and Peter was played by Peter Thiel, and it ends with him <laughs> being ripped apart by a wolf. And you say, thank you. Good. Yeah, and, and we can do that because he's citizen here. Yep. Uh, and we have the death penalty for only one thing, and that is uh, founding PayPal. <laughs> That's right, Elon. You're you can next. never come here. <laughs> you can. If, if, if you and Grimes want to want to like do some Hobbiton memes, please. Her, too bad. Her her name is. I don't. C. I, I don't care what her name is. It's easy to read. It's just the letter C. Like C and E equals MC squared. There are some people that I'm really annoyed that I know what their real name is. Like I'm, I'm constantly annoyed that I know what Teller's real first name is. Well, right, he currently used yeah, to be. Yeah, he did have his name legally changed to just be Teller. On a legal documents, his first name is uh, NFN, which stands for no first name. Okay. Um, because for some legal documents, you have to have a first name. Right. Yeah. It's like oh yeah, Teller. Um, cool. Um, or like magic, learning that no, no jokes there. Uh, we got to talk I, about I the movie. When, I remember when I learned that Elf's real name was Gordon Shumway. <laughs> um, and when I learned that, that Phil Collins' real name is Philip Collins. I remember when I learned that uh, Prince's real name was Prince. What was his last name? Because like Pr- Prince was his real first name. Yeah, yeah. Was it like Prince King? Uh, it's something like that. Um. It's, oh, like, it's like Prince Jones. Uh, maybe he would. Do you change your name when you become a Jehovah's Witness? Um, That's not interesting. B movie. So yeah, John Goodman uh, baits Matthew Broderick into stinging him by spewing racist rhetoric against bees. Bassist. Uh, <laughs> but a good again, little beaver bassist god. <laughs> again, this film raising the specter of real acts of hate, which it is absolutely. Unwilling, unable, and, and just in just impossible to properly wrestle with. Even like there, there are many good comedies on those themes. This yeah. film is not one of them. Um, yeah, and he's it, all like, it, oh, if, if they'd done some prior research, they might have found out about Blazing Saddles, written by Richard Pryor. Uh, or uh, for, for, for the last like three minutes, we've been trying to think of a prior research joke about <laughs> Richard Pryor, and. Uh, 
Finally found a way to shoehorn it in. It's a good film. It is. Uh, you could, couldn't make it today, though, because most of the cast is dead. <laughs> but Mel. Mel Brooks. I love him. When I fucking saw Trial of a Chicago 7 the other day, I spent the entire movie thinking that the judge was played by Carl Reiner, yeah. and I was so happy, even though I didn't like that performance particularly. I was like, Carl Reiner's in this. Fantastic. Yeah. And I got home and saw it was Frank Langella, and I was like, yeah. Nixon? You know, like, sure. Like, I've got nothing against Frank Langella. I just really wanted that to be Carl Reiner. Because <laughs> I love Carl Reiner so much. I mean, absolutely. And it would be a beautiful tribute. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of movies that he directed this year. Carl Reiner's great. The Jerk. Brilliant movie. Uh, Barry wins the case. I can't remember how. No. I will not, I'm not the, willing to go into it. Um, uh, like it, it's 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 one of those things like in the trial of Chicago Seven where like he said or, or like in fucking a few good men where like he he like tricks someone into like saying the wrong thing and then the entire jury gets up and starts like applauding him like yeah. bees 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 <laughs> and then the judge whose voice for Oprah starts being like yes I rule in favor of bees <laughs> yeah bees uh, bees for everyone and this is the you point. get bees and you get bees where you can really get the sense of the film of like being like oh I am an hour and 20 minutes into an hour 40 film i gotta get this over with okay cool so the next scene is a montage of all honey being removed and returned to bees yeah uh, and, and all the bees being freed and, and now they have such surplus of honey um they don't now need to make honey yeah and all the bees become lazy and slovenly and so of course they do uh, uh so of course they don't pollinate flowers and without bees pollinating flowers every flower on earth Dies in the world in three days, uh, some, something like that. Yeah, no, it, it, the sun rises it, and sets three times. Uh, in, in that I, I counted, I was like, right, I, but like, but like, f- films, films can include time dashes. I know. don't want to believe that B movie would lie. I think the B movie is all like 1917, and that there is one time dash in it. Yeah, we're talking about, 19, we're talking about 1917. In, 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 <laughs> that's not. We talked enough about 1917. Brilliant. Two take film, nineteen seventeen, <laughs> um, complete. Ah, uh, and then it's like, oh no, all the flowers are dying, and um, and, and there's the whole thing about like, you know what, Barry, you you should have stayed in your fucking lane. <laughs> yeah, well, stop stop trying to help your people well, escape chattel slavery. <laughs> Well, Renee Zellweger is uh, a florist, yeah, and he sees her, and she's all like, "Oh, I'm sad. All the flowers well, yeah, are gone. Her, her, her store goes out of business, um, and." Uh, he's like, oh, I kind of feel like I'm blaming blaming myself for this, and she's like, you think it's your fault, b boy? Now I'm just. Why don't you go do some hip hop dancing, b boy? Now I've just got to go to the last flower show ever. In, ever. There are no more flowers. Um, uh, and, and see the last flowers it's in like Santa Clarita, California, or some shit. And they're like, okay, sweet as, we'll do a heist, uh, and then over like in one minute they do a heist. Well, yeah, yeah, like she she, she gets in a cab to go to the airport to get, to get in a plane to to the last flower show, yeah. and and as she leaves, Barry's like, the last flower <laughs> show, flower show. Flowers, but, oh, flowers, bees pollen. Hey, you. So you didn't need a lift. Um, we're just talking about B movie. Do, do Do you have any opinions about B movie? No. <laughs> Teaching, yay. Um, I, I, that's on the podcast. Me, re- me getting your text, just so you know. Just how you and I've already spoken about that. And, of course, because you've already spoken about it on the podcast, you don't <laughs> you need to talk to Briar about it. She, she can listen to the podcast in, uh, in, in seven days' time. Have you ever listened? How much of this have you ever listened to? <laughs> <laughs>
I wear headphones for that. Sometimes I listen to a bit and I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, they're good bits. You do like them, right? <laughs> no, she doesn't. She's shaking her head. No, side to side. Oh, they can't hear you. <laughs> this doesn't matter. None of this matters. Uh, but no, so so then they're in like, uh, who gives a shit, Florida or whatever. And they're like, okay, we've got to break in and steal these flowers. Uh, yeah, in California. Um, I believe it's a real flower show they're yeah. going to. Yeah, and so yeah, and so like they do uh, an incredibly lazy heist to steal a f- to steal a float that's covered in flowers. Well, and an amazingly lazy, but also like super high concept, <laughs> super high concept heist, and, and and involves like like a lot more hurting people than <laughs> than you than you think. But, like oh, like yeah. in, in, in this in this like one minute thirty second heist to steal some flowers. More people get hurt than, than in all three Oceans movies. There are a couple of people who are probably dead. Yeah. And especially because the film really breezes past this. And I think it's because they don't want us to notice that Barry should just be like, can we have those flowers so we can re-pollinate yeah, all the like, flowers? Hey, you, you, you know how you're a flower show and these are the last flowers that exist on Earth? Please give them to me, a bee, so that I can pollinate them so we can have more Meet flowers. the famous bee. The, the world's most famous bee. The only bee that all humans know. Yeah, the bee lawyer. Me, Barry B. Benson. I think more bees would know the Matthew Broderick bee for, because, you know... For, for starring in Ferris Bieler's <laughs> Day Off. No, for... No, for... For starring in Beerus Bieler's Bay Off. <laughs> No, stinging uh, Gon Judd Man, um, or Mon Judd Gan. <laughs> okay, a lot of this is gone. Um, I was just trying to think of other Matthew Broderick movies, and I was like, Welcome to Mooseport, no, that's Ray Romano and Gene Hackman. Oh, right, oh, thank you. But not Inspector Gadget 2. Oh, no, that, that, is, it, is that French Stewart? <laughs> of course it's You know yeah, it's I my know boy, it's Fran- Francois hey. Stewart. hey. Thin Sound Nicholas, <laughs> stop acting like you don't know that that was French Stewart and Inspector Gadget. Duh. <laughs> um, Everett. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say that. Uh, hey, it was in a pre-friend world. Friendship had was not yet invented. And it may sound like we're skipping past this heist. And uh, oh, okay, there's one thing I want to say about the heist, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which is uh, their plan for this heist is to go and steal a float that's covered in flowers. And so the float that they decide to steal is a float that's themed after the the classic fairy tale, the princess and the pea. And so this, this is a giant drivable car that's shaped like a bed with flowers all around it. And they, they, they Barry flies up onto it, and he's dressed in a pea costume that he got somehow. And and he says to the woman who's there dressed as a princess, uh, Hi, I'm the pea. And she's like, The pea's supposed to be under the bed, you idiot. And he's like, No, not, 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 not in this version, baby. Implying that he's going to fuck her as a pea. And then she's like, I'm going to go talk to my manager or whatever. And she goes to climb down the ladder from this, like, two and a half meter high float. And as she goes to do that, fucking Renee Zellweger steals the ladder, like, pushes the movable wheeled ladder away. And this this totally innocent bystander, this person who has done nothing wrong, apart from, like, be the target of of their fucking grift, she, she walks off the edge of this two and a half meter high high bed and falls face first onto the pavement (laughs) and then she is never seen or heard from again yeah she is you would expect if this was a disney film you would get a cut of her being like oh and then like the 
the stars around her head are flowers. Yeah, or, or uh. it'd, it'd, it'd be like the, the, the like drop-off, a crash sound of in her saying, I'm all right, <laughs> oh, as, as we talk about in the, in the Pink Panther episode. Uh, uh, th- maybe to reflect on um, uh, uh, the cut Power Rangers material from earlier, possibly my greatest achievement um, uh, on working on Power Rangers was getting a legit, I'm okay! <laughs> Uh, uh, into into that show. Brian has found a bee and is now taking it outside and I'm very worried that this bee is going to start hitting on Briar and this is going to end. I'm just terrified now that this is going to end with me outside of Briar's work and it's going to be like Unity Unit B books and I'm going to be like that bee's this so my, my life. life. I'm, I'm living, living in a nightmare. nightmare. <laughs> so yeah, and again, uh, considering that they definitely murdered that woman, Ugh. worth emphasizing after they murdered that woman, this whole heist does not need to happen. Yeah. Anyway, they get the flowers. They're on a plane. Yeah, because they have to transport. They have to transport the flowers cross country. Yeah, and uh, so for some reason, <laughs> Barry goes into the cockpit to talk no, to the pilots. No, because uh, the plane uh, is being delayed a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, because there's too much fog over New York. Right, I guess I didn't care enough to notice <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, and, and, and Renee Zellweger is like, those are fresh-cut flowers without water. They'll all be dead. Right, um, yeah. and, and, uh, they, they, they should have gone to proflowers.com or to get some proflowers delivered uh, I don't. I can't remember any or pro flowers. Things. Gotten the bees in California to yeah. pollinate yeah. the flowers. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But, but like we haven't met those bees yet. But okay. So B. Um. Barry B. Benson, of course, knocks on and the like, door to the cockpit. I think like this one. One of the many failures of Bee Movie yeah. is that like it, it is supposed to be about about all humans versus all bees, yeah. but it never establishes <laughs> any bees outside of its one specific hive. Yeah. And like. Like, like I've I've seen the episodes of the Wombles that do a better job of establishing the international community of Wombles better than this movie does with bees. Um, <laughs> but also, it's been it's been so long since I've heard about Wombles. But Barry, Barry B. Vincent knocks on the door to the cockpit to be like, "Can we hurry up, guys?" Of course, to get them to open the door, he does some hilarious and timely sky mall jokes. Oh, God. Uh, they open the door and then, through a hilarious set of misunderstandings, both the, of the, the pilots end up unconscious. They end up beating each other into comas, <laughs> okay. trying trying to murder Barry. No, I, I think one is accidentally knocked out by the other pilot. Yeah, and then he goes to press a button, which activate. Oh, yeah, yeah, like he he falls over and hits his head on the uh, uh, on the inflatable life raft button. Uh, which like okay, so usually that like usually there's not like a button that unleashes an inflatable life raft, and also usually that if say say there was a button that did that, usually it wouldn't it wouldn't just like it w- it wouldn't like unleash and inflate the the life raft inside the cockpit. <laughs> yeah, there's no way you're getting that. No, it's up. like. <laughs> The inflated boat. Like, now you're just idiot in that Day of the Triffids miniseries where he's the only survivor of a plane crash by by locking himself inside a bathroom with with everyone else's inflatable life jackets because everyone else has already been blinded by a meteor. You remember that Day of the Triffids miniseries where Eddie Izzard... Uh, Was the, he evil? Yeah, yeah, he's oh, evil okay, as hell. Okay, okay, okay. He, he's like one of the like like last like sighted people in the world. He becomes like a maniacal authoritarian. How authoritarian. was this? This is like, what, 2009, 2010? Oh, wow, that was... 
I mean, for me, Eddie Izzard's best turn as a villain is, of course, his mute role as Sean Connery's heavy in the 1998 Avengers film. I, I, I of course, like him in Ocean's 12. I bought... And Ocean's 13. I think he's in both. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He joins... No, he joins... He is... He's technically the person that makes it 12. Right, yeah. yeah. in, In 12. Um, well, is in in eleven is Julia Roberts one of the eleven? Because she's like she's she's is this a unite the seven situation where or Blake seven? <laughs> but like in, in in twelve, Julia Roberts is like part of the team. She's yeah, one yeah. of the twelve in twelve. I think she is. I think it's kind of the yes. Yeah, it's Bruce Willis. No, no, no. it's just anyway. Um, <laughs> You're thinking of Unbreakable again. No, I'm thinking of Bruce Willis's cameo in Ocean's Twelve as himself oh, with I, Julia I, Roberts I, as I, herself. Remember oh, how the whole joke is that Julia right, Roberts' yeah, character no, I, I, looks I, I like remember, Julia I, Roberts. I remember that like era-defining joke. <laughs> like that, that, that's one of the most important jokes of my childhood. But but no, I, I didn't remember that Bruce Willis was was in that scene. Um, <laughs> but uh, <coughs> but this life raft uh, inflates at speed throwing the other pilot into the wall at a ne- like he's not yeah, unconscious no, he's, he's paralyzed <laughs> he's at dead. least he might as well be at, be at a 660 concert because he's have, paralyzed now i haven't been more stunned by a sudden burst of balletic violence since scott Edson saw a bowling ball coming for him scott adkins <laughs> no scott Edson, <laughs> but not again we can't go back no, we, we've already Check done our universal we've already done this bit for two and a half hours <laughs> on the life and death of colonel blimp and universal soldier day of reckoning episode check it out also speaking of that a universal soldier day of reckoning coming to netflix New Zealand pretty soon. Oh wow! Yeah, great. It's, we can. It's so good. Let's 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 watch, watch it again. <laughs> well, I feel like uh, 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 we need to do because we weren't sure where, quite where we were at. So I think we need to do Ali again. We did not give Ali a fair shake. Well, and and also like all the audio from that is terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We, we absolutely needed most distorted. Yeah, and, Ma- and mostly on the Ali section. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I can't remember whose fault that is. It's almost certainly. It's always it's technology's fault. Um, no, it's the tree's fault. I've recently watched the happening, and I've got some pretty incredible ideas for you. Okay, so so I, I've I've <sighs> been listening to Spinal Tap, and I they, they, they told me to listen to all the flower people. <laughs> Um, but so long story short, Renee Zellweger uh, uh, is trying to learn. To land yeah, the yeah. plane, he, he he brings her into the cockpit to, to fly the plane. Um, it very quickly switches from being like, "Oh, we can't land in New York because it's too foggy." To we have to land the plane because both of the pilots are dead or and, paralyzed, and the, and the flowers are going to wilt. Um, and and so Barry, of course, he he uses his his B telepathy to say to all the other beers. "Hey guys, we got some trouble here. You got to help me land this plane." And they come and fly it. They come form along its underside. Yeah, and they turn off the engines. Yeah, and and the bees and they can- just use bee power to lift up this plane. But like, okay, so from what I could tell, all of the bees were like with their backs up to the plane, so they wouldn't be able to fly, I, right? I I don't care. But if, if they're standing on the underside, like. It's, no, I don't. I don't I, it doesn't make any sense. This is this is a bad movie. Are you going to look at the clip? You you going to you going to rewatch the footage? I, I've seen footage. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> can't fucking find it. Also, do you want to know something real fucked up? This film's only like eighty minutes long. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, you're fucking lying to me, right? <laughs> that now. is the cut to black at the end, and it is at eighty-two minutes oh. into the film. 
fuck. <laughs> right? Look. <laughs> How? Why? Um, so 20 minutes of this film are credits. <laughs> Think of all of those people who had to work on this. Those good people with families and lives, interiorities, whole existences, houses, homes, suburbs, full of people working to make B movie. So they fucking B-movie. they land the fucking plane. Um, there's a uh, entertaining concept that's not well executed. That bees on the ground form into a flower, and then the plane lands like yeah, it's and, a bee landing. Like, yeah, like B- Barry uses his like ancient bee senses to like to like sense the flower and fly towards it. Yeah, and then there's like one fun visual joke where as they're going to land, the bees just like fully take control and they're just like minutely like pinpointing like where the plane is going to land and they're just lifting it up and they're yep. like spinning the plane around and stuff. Gets distracted by the flower on the air, the Hawaiian air and plane. No, it, it's a person wearing a Hawaiian shirt with flowers no, it, on it. D- d- oh, they do two, two gags. They there's do two. two gags. They do. do they do that jag. They, Rule of twos. But then they land. Yeah, everything is fine now. Um, the and then all all the flower all the flowers get get dumped out from a cargo hold, and all the bees are like, oh yeah, it's fucking time. <laughs> uh, and, and then uh, time dash. The world's a better world's place. Fine, it's all good now. Flower flowers are back. Flowers have been saved. Um, the At, flower shop is now called. It was called like Bloom's Flowers before because her surname is Bloom. Yeah. And now it's Barry and Bloom. Uh, uh, which is flor, flor, floristry and floristry and animal law and animal law and and then we see like oh but do you want to buy some uh, honey it's bee approved so like obviously so the bees are making honey again and yeah. then we cut into we, Barry B Benson's law offices where he's now consulting with who's he consulting with a cow a talking cow a so talking cow so. Does every and she's like oh, milk, cheese, cream? It's all uh, I'm, I make it all. Oh, what have I done? Humans, well, they're, yeah, taking I, my, they're taking my milk and cheese. And then the ju- the punchline on that is, I feel like a real piece of meat, and it oh, just has right. to be yeah. like, like I, I've been very careful. I call, I say that too many films have a dark heart, but a film that equates taking honey from bees to like the dairy complex <laughs> it's equally acceptable jokes is bizarre to me <laughs> it, it's just like that is so tone deaf but more importantly do you think every animal has a first law which is don't talk or are we just in a world where yeah, now it seems like all the animals are just like yeah we're just gonna fucking talk now and like this movie should end with with like all of humanity being burnt to the ground <laughs> like that, that, that's like if if Jerry Seinfeld wasn't a fucking coward, like that's how this movie would end. But um, and, and so I, okay, t- explain yourself a little. Like that, that's that's for logical progression, you know. Like so, so <laughs> no, I mean, of course. So when when Barry comes into the human world and first experiences the injustices of of humanity, he real he thinks you know, like the 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 only way like I I want to work within the system to 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 change things, yeah. right? And and he he does he he achieves a a stunning legal victory which changes life for all bees but, but then he realizes like it's not just bees who are oppressed it is all animals the dairy industry the fox hunting lobby yeah you know they're all so powerful he can't take them down and so all animals must rise up against all humans like in that movie john hodgman kept pitching in all of his books all animals versus all humans <laughs> but or it is like <laughs> Barry, after a long day at work, oh, they've run out of honey, so he has to go get, oh, no, he has to get, oh, it doesn't matter. No, after a long day at work, into the film, he comes out of his office, and he's like, Renee's at work, just about how hearing all the <laughs> evil man does to animal on this, I, I'm sorry, but I have to do it. And then it's like, every bee on earth 
has been tracing one person and they all just like fly through the eyes, scramble <laughs> the brains, and then just every human oh, falls. Yeah, I'm going to say, he, he flies into her mouth and like stings her heart to death. <laughs> all that. But every, I presume there are as many bees as there are humans. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's say there are. Yeah, r- We roughly. established that earlier. And in like the setup for the scene, we've noticed that it's weird that every human seems to have one bee near them. <laughs> And it's done. Yeah. So yeah. So um, after he's finished talking talking to this cow, old Zellywags. From, Please from, call her Judy. <laughs> she's like, "Hey, Barry, come and do something for me or whatever. I I, I can't remember. For the next joke we're going to do, you need to leave a room. So come come and come and do that. Yeah. And then he goes to leave a room, and he's like, "Oh, my my assistant will take over for me. And then then Moose Blood, the, the mosquito, comes yeah. back in, and, oh, God. and 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 the cow's like, "Oh, you a lawyer? And he's like, "Oh, I was already a blood sucking parasite. I shouldn't have been surprised, but B-Movie made me appreciate the skills of Larry David more and more. Like, the actual conclusion I want to come to in analysis of this film is that um, Jerry Seinfeld is a medium-talented comedian who lucked lucked on Larry David to write his show for him. Um, because I can't, and then he he goes and flies, and they fly away, and that's when Patrick Burton, Patrick, Patrick Warburton, Warburton, of course, like er, earlier in his life, he was just Patrick Burton, but then then his family was killed, and he <laughs> said, "I'm no longer a man of peace. From now on, I am Patrick Warburton." <laughs> then there's Patrick Warburton do, doing doing <laughs> one one of the great line readings in cinema history, and then Barry flies off all the other fucking bees, and they go do some more flower shit. Oh, and he says something like, "You know, I was really tired of." Work. Yeah, I was like, oh, I, re- like... I really, really want to get out of the office. Okay. And so... then they fly through some kites or whatever and fuck it. So, uh, and the last kite looks like honeycomb. Yeah, <laughs> and then there's 20 minutes of credits. Symbolizing how he's always going to be stuck in there. Yeah, it's 20 and... minutes of credits, just like La Floor. <laughs> <laughs> so, Finn, I put Sorry, it... There's, there's, there's 50 minutes of credits in La Floor. Uh, so, Finn, I put it to you <laughs> that this confusing mash of pixels and words. Yeah. Uh, portraying the, the, this movie about how you should know your place and not try and shake anything up ever. Because you'll inevitably lead to the end of all flowers. But that also is about personal freedom and there's no logical inconsistency. It's a constantly at war with himself. Finn, do you also agree with me and think that there's no better encapsulation of the human experience than B-movie? Um... Look, I, I, I think this is look. This, this is up there. But I think if I was trying to think of like movies that like fully encapsulate like what it means to be like a person, yeah, I know. I'd, I'd say like Patterson, the Jim Jarmusch film, or, or maybe the Night Comes for Us, the Timo Shojanto film. Uh, <laughs> so okay. Or uh, yeah, it sounds uh, like you'd say the Apartment. Yeah, but like that's that's, that's not a funny third one to say. <laughs> um, uh, the host. But the, the, not the, 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 the Stephanie Meyer well, one. Yeah, yeah the Stephanie. Okay. Um, so, okay, I'll make the question simpler. Finn, okay. B-movie, sound yeah. or shite? Uh, shite. Yeah, shite, man. It's, it's super unfunny and super lazy and it makes no sense. It's just so, like... A, I, I, I can't imagine children enjoying this. I, I, I don't understand. Yeah, no, I the parts of it that didn't bore me made me annoyed that people were forced to work on this by lazy yeah. people, uh, as I discussed at, <laughs> at length. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I don't think we've seen worse films. I don't think we've seen lazier films. Yeah. 
So, Finn, what are you watching next week? Next week, we are watching Lawrence of Arabia by David Lean. And with that, great film. Seen it? I, I've, I've never seen it. I'm, I'm very excited to see it. I love four-hour-long movies. <laughs> and can't fucking wait to do another and, one. And, 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 and films that are just from the bones up racially problematic. <laughs> Um, and with that, we're really excited. We're, we've actually got a really early screening. That's right. We are watching Denise Villeneuve's <laughs> Dune. No, um, so that's, that's, not, that's, no, that's not quite correct. We're doing David Lynch's Dune. Villeneuve's that's right. We're doing two films about uh, about desert tribes and charismatic outsiders leading them to freedom. Yeah. One mm. Lawrence of Arabia and one directed by <laughs> Denise Villeneuve. I look forward to uh, watching it you're with say, you. Like, you're saying his name's so weird. <laughs> Is it? Denis Villeneuve. You, like, you, 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 <laughs> you, you, like... you keep, like, really hitting the S at the end of, like, of, you keep, like, going, like, Denis, like, it's Denis like, it's... Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> okay. Baguette? Denis but Villeneuve. You, you agree we are going to watch his version of look, it, look of the okay, first half if, of the If that movie was out, yes, we'd watch that, but it it's is not. We've got an early screening. One of us pretended to be dying. <laughs> <laughs> Is there yeah, we, must we, we, be? We, we, told, we told Timothy Chalamet we had cancer. We both got cancer. <laughs> Look, um, we both hung around this laptop too much, and it gave us the same cancer. <laughs> okay, so my name's Yutha. De- Sorry, my name's Yutha Shite. My name's Finn Sound Nicholas. <laughs> um, you, you can find our website at shiteandsound dot com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at shitesoundpod. Uh, with, uh, you can email us at uh, 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 at gmail dot at Triton Sound <laughs> at fucking fu- uh, you can and you can email us you can you can email us at Shiten Sound what's the fucking email address? It's Shite Sound Podcast. You can email us at Shite Sound Pod at gmail dot com. Our theme music is the Nux by Kazam Blam. Yeah, if if you want to find me online, just on your social media of choice, just chuck Youther Lives. That's U T H E R. L-I-V-E-S in yep. there. If you want to find me online, don't bother. B-movies are good. Even the bad ones. <laughs> Go watch Beam. <laughs>